Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here for the February the 17th, 2021 episode. I am Nick here alongside Chris. We got a good chunk of manga to talk about today. That is how manga is measured, not in chapters or volumes or collected whatever's in chunks. Mm -hmm. And so we have a chunk of manga to talk about today. Here at Weekly Manga Recap, we actually have new measurement units for everything. Manga will be measured in chunks. Uh, air miles will be measured in diddly woos. Mm -hmm. Uh, liquids will be measured in uh dumps. Brown children. D okay, darker than I was expecting. But <laughs> no finishing that Look, how many babies can you fit inside the container? There you go. That's it's a very it's a very scientific measure. So yeah, so if you want to measure a shot class, you can get baby. Yeah. king's babies because. <laughs> If you want to use a shot glass, you, you'd be like, well, that's uh, 0.18 drowned babies, because you can't get a whole baby in a shot glass to drown it, no matter how hard you try. You're going to break the glass. Or the baby. Both equally bad. We have nowhere to go from here, so we have to just go into the podcast. <laughs> I don't know why that far as the one got me. <laughs> Listen, these are very valuable shot glasses. <laughs> I can't. I haven't found these Sonic the Hedgehog shot glasses everywhere. And I don't know, they might not make them anymore. So I want to yeah, keep them. Fast. <laughs> right. Uh, Chris, we have manga to talk about. <laughs> yes, we have quite a lot of manga to talk about. What's a lot of a lot of significant chapters to talk about, a lot of discussions to be had. I specifically like did not reread anything today. So <laughs> I'm trying to remember if you're right or not. No, I'm um, not. I mean, there's I mean. Going, there's a couple that I know are important. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple series that'll have uh, kind of important discussions to them. So let's go into it. Okay. And Witch Watch. There's also that. So, Academia. <laughs> Chapter number 301, The Wrong Way to Put Out a Fire, Part 1. So we left off last time with Rei, uh, Shota Todoroki's mother, confronting Endeavor, who was feeling overwhelmed and down on himself because, oh, he created a serial killer. That is a bad thing. Uh, and uh, she seemed like she was about to uh, kind of tear into him for throwing himself a pity party. And we start off this chapter kind of there, but we actually are in a flashback to start with to when Ray and Endeavor first met when he bought her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. It's uh, he essentially approached her family wanting her to become his bride, which we I don't know if we explicitly knew that that was what had happened, but we knew that they had performed a quirk marriage. And so seemingly her family was just very happy that some great popular rich hero was, you know, going to do this. Um, but. Uh, uh you know, Endeavor apparently did actually like fall in love with her because, you know, they just there's a scene of them just kind of getting to know each other and how he sees that she really likes flowers. And and he's like, you know, she's you know, she's strong, but prone to melting away at the slightest touch. Much like flowers are. <laughs> Ice, I guess. OK, <laughs> I mean, both analogies. I mean, ice doesn't, like, melt to your finger's touch unless it's, like, an ice cube. Which it melts is, a little bit. 
Yeah, but like a big block of ice. No, the bigger the block of ice it is, the more difficult it is to get it to melt. Yes. Yeah. I just don't know if I see ice as fragile, but, you know, sure, whatever. You know, whatever analogy you have to use. Uh, Endeavor has lived his entire life in, like, Florida, where if it snows, it's really shit snow. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> what, this is snow? Oh, whatever, whippy snow. <laughs> it's <laughs> gone. I don't even know how you build a snowman out of this. <laughs> they must be making that up. That's an old wives' tale. A lot of dirt. So, <laughs> we begin again in the hospital room and uh endeavor is like oh ray are, are, are you okay and she's like no i'm not that's why i'm here which yeah makes sense she saw everything happening on tv and she was like yeah i gotta do something because this is messed up we cut to their son their eldest son uh dobby toya who uh is just kind of talking to himself on a couch somewhere and uh, he says, that's a lot of burning. I can't feel a thing, though. Which is kind of a terrifying thought that he's been burned so many times by his own flame that he literally can't feel it anymore. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, probably a bad sign. Maybe you should uh, not do that to yourself anymore. Uh, but he know he thinks to himself that he knows that Endeavor is not going to just die after what they've been through. He's He's too tough for that. Uh, and but he's like, all right, he's going to make some sort of public statement soon. He's going to have to. And I can't wait to see his face when he does that. I've been waiting for this for so long. And he then lists off all the members of his family, although it kind of interestingly, he refers to Endeavor as NG Todoroki. But he says mom instead. Hmm. It seems like all four kids prefer one parent to the other. <laughs> but he, after he lists their names, he says, take a good look at me. In the depths of hell. None of them are dead. Or are you just being dramatic? Oh, yeah, dramatic. I mean, Dobby's a dramatic bitch at points, so... <laughs> well, he did... He he presumably has not actually matured beyond the emotional age of, like, 12 yeah. tops. So. so we cut to his childhood uh, when Toya is, like, demanding that Endeavor do quirk training with him. And he's like, why have you, why'd you change your mind? Why, why aren't we doing this anymore? And never says, this is for your own good. And we see that uh, he had met with the doctor in the first of four attempts to genetically engineer the <laughs> ultimate superhero. Uh, and it basically had almost the poorest possible result in Dobby's case. Mm. Uh, he has a more powerful form of Endeavor's fire quirk but physically, he takes after Ray. His body is meant to withstand the freezing temperatures of her ice quirk, not the super powerful flames of Endeavors, which, yeah, that, that makes sense, given that what we've seen of his body and how it affects him and stuff. Uh, and the doctor then is just like, you know, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> this is you know, I, I, I'm not going to advise that you, you know, keep on trying to do this genetic engineering shit. So, uh, but Endeavor is just thinking about All Might and he's also thinking about some of, I'm not sure if it's encouragement he get, he specifically directed at Toyo or just a thought that was in his head of you can surpass All Might Toyo. Uh, and, uh, you know, think time goes by. We see Toya 
not only would vent to Natsu, he apparently also vented to Fuyumi. And he's just like, I don't care that, you know, I, I get a little bit burned when I use my quirk. I, I, I can take it. I know I can. And Fumi's like, I mean, I don't like it when you hurt yourself. And she's like, well, whatever. You're a girl. You don't care. <laughs> Which I was like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know if that's meant to be uh, indicative of, like, the way the environment Toya is, like, raised up in. Because I guess, did he ever train Fuyu to be? Well, I guess the quirk Wait. just never really worked or whatever. Well, if she has the ice quirk, then and not the, the I don't know. Re- I mean, re- regardless, I don't know if that's supposed to be indicative of like the household environment was not conducive to like uh, encouraging women, or if it's just uh, Horikoshi is <laughs> not very good at encouraging women. <laughs> I mean, he, he is a kid, so you know when when uh, I, an unfortunate fact is that the gender separation between boys and girls is weirdly encouraged at a younger age and i have no idea why mm. so anyway so he says i've got it in my head i gotta surpass the other guy dad's the one who lit that fire under me uh and when we see a private private conversation going on between ray and endeavor and Ray's actually taking the side of like, you you can't, you know, just tell him to give up on this now. Uh, and Endeavor is basically at the point where he is realizing that he should not have pushed Toya to go down this route and told him that he needed to be the ultimate hero surpassing All Might because he's not fit for it physically. And he's like, I, no matter what I do to him, no matter what I say to him, he keeps coming home with fresh burns every day. And he's gotten that stubbornness from me. So he basically says, this is the only way to make him give up because he'll never, ever surpass All Might. Uh, more time goes by. And uh, it seems like this conversation took place before Natsu was born, because that's the yeah. first shot we see on the next page is Natsu as a baby being held by Ray. Uh, more time goes by. Uh as Endeavor gets more and more frustrated as he tries to surpass All Might. And then eventually Shoto is born. And of course, Shoto has the dual quirks. And uh, we see that this did not please Toya. <laughs> it didn't fix things? What, going back to the oh. genetic well a fourth time didn't immediately fix the rest of the family? Amazingly... Endeavor telling one son that the dream he had implanted in his head he wasn't suited for, but then he kept on trying to have kids, and he did have a kid that was physically capable of pulling out that task that he wanted. Yeah, made Toya feel like a discarded toy. So we see that... It's such a messed up thing that he stuck all of this into his kids, and that his thought process was like, well, if I have a super kid, then the other kids stop trying, and then they could just be normal kids. <laughs> I'm the best dad ever. I don't know if he, so he specifically had that he positive did, thought in his head. He does. Yeah, he, he does clearly at one point. Like this is kind of complicating what we know about Endeavor's thoughts on everything yeah. that has happened in his family's history. And now we know that he did feel bad about what his kids were going through, and that he was the cause of it. But he didn't stop trying to he, do it. He does specifically say 
he wants to have another kid because he thinks that's the only way it'll stop Toya from hurting himself. If, if he creates the perfect soldier, then his kid will just give up. And it's yeah. like, no, <sighs> you won't. Now you now you won't feel that pressure to do the thing that I told you only you could do. See, now there's yeah. someone else who can do it. <laughs> now your younger sibling will be better than you from the onset. Older siblings love it when their younger siblings surpass them from birth, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we see that one of the first things that Toya did was go out and set a bunch of stuff on fire while he was crying. And be like, no, I can do it. I can do it too, Dad. I can surpass him. See, look how strong my fire is. Look at me. Uh, and, of course, this just had set in more because he was getting himself hurt more, burning himself. And he was... The you know was just, he he did the ultimate parental tactic of grab them by the shoulders and shout in their face that this will work you're a good dad, and he tells them look past this just play with Natsuo and Fuyumi make friends at school look there's a whole other world besides this hero stuff you understand that right you know just put this behind you and it'll be a distant memory soon, but Toya says well the kids at school I'll say they want to be heroes and I can't understand that because I've got you for a father. Oh, <laughs> sick burn. Kids. Uh, and he tells Endeavor, you lit this fire in me and it's not going out. I can't pretend it's not there. Look at me. And he fire comes from his body and he lunges towards Shoto, who is still being held in Ray's arms. And we cut to the present before we see how that turned out. As Ray says, you don't get to claim you're hurting more than anyone. You're not the only one who didn't really see him. Mm -hmm. So obviously we agree that there's some messed up stuff going on in this chapter. What did yes. you, you feel about like how the content of it? Yeah, the story goes. So I liked it uh, quite a lot. Um, I know some people have read this as somewhat of, I don't know how you'd phrase it, like a, not a complete like retcon, but like, sort of like a revamp or at least from a new perspective of the Endeavor storyline. Cause the way we were kind of only ever told to it before um, it was, you know, from Todoroki's perspective. And then later his, his uh, middle two children, uh, basically shitty dad. He was the worst, like the, the brief flashbacks we kind of saw, he was like the epitome of douchey father. Uh, in this, we could see that there is some level of concern. And I heard some people a little bit nervous because they they don't really want like to make it like retroactively feel like Endeavor was less of an awful person. But I I honestly thought this chapter did a pretty good job of showing that Endeavor was never a particularly good father. Yeah. And, and like from the very beginning, he doesn't get his kids. They are just tools to him. And once they stop being useful, he might still have some vested interest in like, well, I hope they are okay or things like that. But he clearly does not do anything to actually make their lives better. Like it could have been sincerely easier to have just hung out with Toya in any kind of capacity, because clearly that's what he want was the companionship of his father. But he's just like, nope, too busy. Got to train. You're worthless to me since you don't have the right works. Goodbye. And you're just mm -hmm. like... Ah, oh, it like it's it's pretty rough. So I do get where some people maybe see it as a way that tries to it doesn't redeem Endeavor, but it gives him a tiny bit more of a human element than he had 
previously in the flashbacks before he was basically a lifetime movie villain you know uh here you can at least see some measure of like okay he does care about his kids in some weird fashion but he doesn't really get it and he does seem to have some humanity for their well-being but he never really truly addresses it can't see the forest through the Mm -hmm. trees so i get that but i i still think that the ultimate point of this chapter what it got across was that he was a bad parent for the very beginning Mm -hmm. in a way i think that you can read it and think oh are they trying to like make him like more sympathetic and i think it's i don't know if he's more sympathetic he's just more complicated and i think it's Mm -hmm. a bit more human to have him have the thoughts of like oh well my kids are aren't doing so well but if I just have another genetic weapon, then the pressure on them will go away. Like that's bad decisions. And, um, yeah, like you said, like, I mean, this could have all been avoided if he were just like a better parent and didn't have his kids specifically to try and overcome his hero rival guy. Um, and yeah, I, I think that this is a good starting point for like setting up whatever exactly is going to happen in this conversation and come to the conclusion conclusion of, okay, Fedoroku's got to go stop his older brother who's gone crazy. Um, I do know the thought did go through my head while I was reading this of like, are they going to now say that Toya gave Shoto his burn instead of the thing where Ray poured it on his eye? Because I was trying to think of it as like, well, I mean, if he was a baby when he got burned, of course he wouldn't remember. But I was like, yeah, but he definitely clearly remembered remembers right, pouring it on his eye. And that's why she was put in mental care. So <laughs> I think he's going to try to take out Shoto and Endeavor might just fucking clown him like to protect his other kid or something like that. Well, this could also just be the story of how Toya seemingly died. Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, he could just burn out. I mean, that might be the thing where yeah. he, he seems to just kill himself in, fi- in fire by overheating too much or something like that. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting little details. It does make the Endeavor storyline a little bit more complicated, but, you know, it makes it kind of interesting to read if you're into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I do think this flashback also kind of seems to indicate that Endeavor... Uh, Endeavor's patterns of behavior got worse as it went along because we can see that he is going further and further in his intensity to surpass All Might. And that might also explain why he seemed completely unrelatable when he was dealing with Shoto. But he has some kind of like relatability or at least human element here. So I I think all that stuff does work. Um, And I I like the chapter a lot. I thought this made the story of Toya much more of a sympathetic tragedy that kind of complicates even your feelings of like, Oh man, I kind of, I kind of feel bad for Toya now. Like I, and also it makes his big reveal make a whole lot more sense. If he was obsessed with being recognized and seen that he put on this big show and broadcast it nationally. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm interested to see where this is going. And, um, it's, I'm optimistic for right now. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think we have any monthly series this, this month, do we? Nope. Kaiju number eight was, uh, we just got the artwork for it. And then there was no like Boruto and World Trigger, of course, God. So we won't have it. Yes. So with that, 
We move straight into Eden Zero, Chapter yes. One Thirty, Ocean Six. Uh, yes. What? It's your favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. We get the big introduction to the new character group. But before we get to that, Nick, before we get to that, we have some new quirky character traits to work out. So let's get to that first. Remember almost bald, shaved haired guy who uh, had like the cage powers? He's now in love with Hamora, as we see, because he's flipping through his eye photo gallery thing on his phone or data pad. I don't know what it is, but he's flipping through photos of Hamora that I guess he took. I don't, or surveillance cameras took. I don't know who took these photos, but he has a bunch of them. They're all candid shots. Yes. And I know that, uh, they aren't even remotely sexual. I mean, the first, the first one is her in a position where her legs are wide open, but framed out of shot. So it's still one of those ones. It's like, okay, I'd feel, I'd feel creepy having that photo on my phone. This is, I think, one of the creepiest things we've seen in Zero so far, honestly. Just the way that he is looking at his camera screen is basically just, fuck off forever. (laughs) It would be a lot better if they just explained why those photos exist as well. Because really, like, the first implication you have that is like, did he take these photos? Which Apparently. makes this significantly worse. Uh, big bulky dude's just like, hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to be watching dirty videos while you're on the job, Creed. And he's like, no, I'm just staring at the, 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 the woman that I want to put in a cage. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, I guarantee we'll get that gimmick at some point. Uh, he's like, he, he's like, uh, no, no, I'm just uh, studying the Eden Zero. We gotta, we gotta know everything about them. And he's like, you know, the big guy's like, who gives a fuck? Nero and Elsie are in this galaxy. They're the big thing. He's like, no, I think these guys are mysterious. You should check them out. So the other guy gives his opinion. He's like, Rebecca, B-Cuber, never heard of her. Weiss, a guy from the past 50 years ago? Wow. Miniature androids. Uh, the androids that used to work for Ziggy. What the fuck is this? And Shiki, the kid who inherited Ziggy's power. And it's like... Yeah, I guess that's a good way to size most of the crew. I mean, they've picked up four new crew members since that <laughs> scene, but uh, you guys wouldn't know about that, I guess. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, so he's just like, look, we got Nero and Elsie in this galaxy and Ziggy. So, like, yeah, they're a weird bunch, but we don't have time to fucking deal with them. Uh, Justice is over there talking to uh, Holy, I think was her name. And basically, she's giving us the information of, like, look, every one of Nero's top officials have assembled on planet Nero One, also known as the Temple, including his twisted, deadbeat son. And Justice like, I don't care about him. And I was like, I agree, except I guess maybe you don't publicly know he murders women in his free time for fun. <laughs> so I feel like you should, but maybe that information isn't uh, relayed to you. Oh, we've seen that guy before, have we? Yeah, he was the guy with gravity powers who, like, gravitied women up to the ceiling and then, like, exploded them on the ceiling, I think, and then, like, let blood drip from the, like, ceiling or or he crushed them. I can't remember. He used gravity powers to kill women. He's, you know, a typical hero villain. And Holly's just like, you should. He's a real threat. Nero's old. So I like she says Nero is old and not Nero has a dumb gimmick that makes him not do things he probably should. But we'll get to that. (laughs) 
Um, oh, I guess I'm not doing anything about this. Uh, we get a weird shot of Holy in the bar from behind, which I guess goes to show us that Holy does in fact have a butt. So in case you were curious, if that wasn't the case, we do know that. And the lore we're learning in this chapter, Chris. Um, Holy, hang on, let me get on the Eden Zero wiki. As, As a butt. Uh, she does note, she's like, hey, Justice, you head over that way. Jaguar and Eraser are going to help you. I can't go because I have other fish to fry. I don't know who those two are, so we'll find out when they get there. I'll probably say, who the fuck are these characters? Uh, so we cut over to Planet Nero 1, the temple. And we open with a, a man, this guy's hands, as he's holding a bunch of dice. And he says, the ocean weeps. And we are introduced to a member of the Eration 6 Galactica, Emperor Poseidon Nero. As we get this full shot of him, and he has these squid-like tentacles that he has for hair and a beard. Not as good as Davy Jones and Pirates of the Caribbean, no. but let's all admit, that design was flawless from the very beginning. Nothing was surpassing it. So if you're going to crib, crib from the best. Uh, and he gives his <laughs> and he gives his little quote though its tears be a drop of of the blue cosmic sea they will become a desolate darkness to reduce by flesh to ash and already I fucking love Nero because he is this pretentious fucking loser <laughs> like he has hey, such a big stupid really... speech really like Poseidon Nero. <laughs> like his, his speech is so stupid. I was like, fuck yeah. It's dope. I love this guy. Uh, he basically is like, hey, Forrest has been violated at the hand of the Demon King Ziggy. So we get introduced to all the different members of the Ocean Six, the new group. So there's Callum Steelford, Lyra, Nisei, Miliani Lucra, Saika, and Fabiano. And Nick, I know what I you're hate thinking. hate Nisei. I just want to get that out first. Well, Nick, I know what you're thinking. All these designs are relatively decent for the most part. Good job here. Well, that's uh, a little bit of a thing. Hero didn't design most of these characters. These I are all fan yeah. submissions. Well, most of them are fan submissions. I believe Callum, Lyra, Nisei, and then uh, Boob fucking Lady uh, Secretary. They're all fan creations, basically. Uh, that also had powers and things associated with them. Uh, Lyra, the girl with like the heterochromia eyes or whatever, um, she supposedly had dice powers, which I guess they, it seems like they just gave that, <laughs> like Hero was like, I like that better. <laughs> uh, but to say supposedly had like the ability to like, like it basically Byakuya's power in not Byakuya, uh, Tsukishima's power. Was that his name? The guy with the bookmark. Yes. He, it basically seems to have that power. Like, he can alter people's memories. That At least that's what it had in the OC version. And since he stresses memory so hard in this chapter, I assume that's his gimmick here, too. He's like, yes, memory. If memory... <laughs> desert, desert, desert. <laughs> um, so we're introduced to all of them one by one. Um, I guess the only things to really note is Miliani is, I believe, cradling an invisible baby or otherwise just has very weird hand placement. And Fabiano seems to be remotely a decent person um, because he seems to care about the people of uh, Ow. So there's that. Uh, Poseidon says, I wish to know Ziggy's true intentions. He was once a thoughtful man, a man I could call friend. What has happened to him? And he starts. I roll for insight. <laughs> Basically, he rolls for galactic insight. Uh, Shura, his son, is like, 
Those dice are stupid. I don't know why you keep leaving the important decisions to them. He's like, no, these dice will never betray me. They're how I built this empire. Everything comes up a one, which isn't as statistically insane as you would think, because he's rolling a D6, a D8, and a D12, which, I mean, it is odd that all of them would come up as a one. About one in almost 600. Yeah. Uh, He sees all of those. And he's, his eyes go wide. One in, one in 574. Okay. You're so smart. Um, so Fabiano's like, what do your eyes tell you? He's like, yes, our fate. We must obey. He stands up for his chair and he goes, I will do nothing. <laughs> and leaves the scene. <laughs> 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 I love it. We're introduced to this character. And he explicitly tells us, "I am not. I'm just leaving now. I shall do nothing." Um, he does follow it up by saying, "Shura, I will leave this matter in your hands." Um, I guess this makes sense if you're trying to preserve the idea that the Eration Six are all not inherently evil people because we already are friends with Elsie and Drac and Joe was mm-hmm. defeated. So, like, make Poseidon a complex character. And have him exit the scene so we can put the unambiguously super evil character in the lead. And I, I like the idea of doing it. Um, hmm. As to, you know, rolling the dice gives him an excuse to not do anything. Yeah, it's it's weird. And, you know, depending on how you look at it, yeah, it can be really funny. But, yeah, the very idea of, like, this is just how he operates. is, And this is why he is not acting directly, which is why Shiki and company won't get their asses kicked <laughs> yeah. in this upcoming arc. So. Uh, so Shura's assistant, Ijuna, who needed more than one boob window on her dress or whatever that is. I I feel so bad for her because that outfit must require like a roll of boob tape every time to put it on. This is also a fan submitted uh, original character design. Uh, they knew what they knew what hero wanted. Yeah, yes. I'm sure that's why he picked it. So. Uh, she basically does the transfer. Now the Eratio, or the, sorry, the Eratio on six. There's too many stupid group names, Nix. Also, these ones have the same six number gimmick. Yeah. So, you know, kind of weird. Oh, the, they're, they're both O sixes. Yeah. Like. <laughs> uh, so the Ocean Six is now under the command of Shura. Uh, we see a bunch of different characters kind of have their reaction to it. Most of them don't have any kind of real response to it. Uh, Lyra basically is like, I'll do anything you order, but if you make it something pervy, I'll pass, which is like, that's a good character trait. Can't wait to see this evolve. Uh, But the one outlier is Fabiano, who just kind of watches silently. I guess the robot as well, because he's not an important enough character to say anything in a scene. He's just in the background of a shot. Um, And then Shura. There wasn't wasn't like a good character design to fill out the group. So Hero was just like, fine, and pulled out one of his... (laughs) 300 robot designs that he came up with for this series it really is because i the first time i saw this group i was like you know i would say this is one of the better designed groups in a hero series at least for a while because usually he has like one or two decent designs and then a bunch of stupid ones and this one i was like these are all really strong and then i got to that robot i was like i guess that's the one weak one and then i heard oh these are submitted designs and i was like oh that's why there's not a character who's like, I don't know, like a giant egg with a big mustache who like sweat, like shoot moves around by like butt scooting around the room. And he has like spin powers or some stupid bullshit. And for some reason, he's on the same par level as like the dude who controls time with his 17 arms. So like, I don't know. I, I ran out of ideas. 
I know it's important to, you know, have some variety in, in your designs, you know, not be afraid to do weird stuff every once in a while. But yeah, if you take fan submitted designs, you're going to get all cool and hot ones. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's just what's going to happen. So it, it it really makes fucking Psycho or whatever his name is stand out for being like, ah, oh, I guess you're like discount Zen, uh Zenyatta or whatever. You're just like, all right, I guess. <laughs> Who cares? Anyway, I've got, look, I've got a kind of monk gimmick going. See, with the earring things. I wonder if he downloads porn so he can figure out what fetish he wants to exploit the female characters in. I wonder if that'll be a gimmick in this character. <laughs> He's like, oh my god, what if the notes on the fan on the fan submitted characters had that as like that's part of the submission you form had to explain what, what fetish, fetish will this facilitate? <laughs> oh boy, uh, yeah. Well, it, I've never. Well, I've never didn't. <laughs> Mind control fetish again? All right. I feel like we've gone to that okay. well before. But <laughs> Giantist fetish. Now, that's one I haven't done very often. Put that on the books. No, he did that too. Oh, no. He's done almost everything. I feel like he, he's very rarely surprised us anymore. Um, Shura finishes the scene by doing the most evil thing possible. I'm, he puts his finger sorry, on it. Li- I'm literally I'm literally trying to to think of a fetish hero hasn't done <laughs> i suppose if i really i guess he has he probably hasn't really done vor uh that's more of a german thing so i guess he hasn't done that but give him time i'm sure we'll get to it at some point sure finishes the scene by doing the most evil thing possible he puts a finger on one of his dad's dice and he uses his gravity powers to crush it destroying his dice and he says i'm gonna squish ziggy like a bug he'll be nothing but a beat up pile of scrap metal cool his dad comes back hey those were custom ordered <laughs> people are saying he has done vor and i don't remember it but i believe you so sure he had druvia get shrunk down and hang out in gray's mouth that sounds about right anyways uh let's wrap up this chapter we cut back to the eden zero uh we see xenolith basically talking about like hey there was actually a reason Ziggy contacted for or went after Forrester, and it was because of me. He wanted to basically make sure that I wasn't going to survive because he's afraid of what will happen if I encounter you, Shiki. I can make you stronger. I will grant you my power. It goes off the chapter Zila saying, find Ziggy and defeat him. As we see, basically, I guess the four big players currently in this, uh, Shiki, Elsie, Shura, and Ziggy himself, although I imagine Justice and his group will play some kind of role. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some there's some decent stuff in this chapter. Overall, I wouldn't say it's good, uh, yeah. but I do like the um, I do like some of the designs in this group. I do mm-hmm. actually really like the way the Lyra works. I think that the you know the heterochromia and the way that it's in her hair is is you know really eye catching. Um. But I don't really think that uh, Poseidon's Shura. Shura, yes. That's his name? Yes. Yeah. I don't find him interesting in the slightest. So, yeah. He he's he feels like he's just um, the same kind of antagonist as the Doctor, Dr. Mueller, whatever his name was from the last arc, where he really doesn't seem to have much of a character beyond uh, insane sociopath who likes to hurt people. And I was like, but there's a villain of that variety in every hero arc, it feels like. So, 
you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the most interesting thing about Sher was that he also had gravity powers. So, oh, whose gravity will be stronger, Nick? Do you think it's mm-hmm. going to be uh, Shiki's? Uh, probably. Okay. Has he done bimbo vacation? Hang on. No, probably not. Well, well hold on. Uh, oh, then Witch Watch beating him to it. Sorry, uh... No, I can't get ahead of myself. <laughs> I, th- you know what? I think if I go back, I think he did do a thing where the women get dumber or more uh, basic, I guess you could say, at some point. I feel like that did happen at some point. But at the same time, I feel like Hero has done everything. So. Hang on. I'm sorry. I'm going literally through. Like, oh, you're going through. Is there a collection of fetishes? Through a list of fetishes. I'm like, no, he's done that. No, he's done that. He's done that. (laughs) (laughs) Like the only ones that I'm not that I'm like skipping over are the ones that like he would have to have a be in a porn bag to do. Oh, yeah. Wow, anything you could literally you could get away with, he's done that. I think so. (sighs) Whatever. Hey, man. Anyway, sells sells volumes. New manga. Yay. Let's move from talking about sexual stuff to getting into Elusive Samurai, which begins with the marshmallow hell shot. Like, it just immediately boobs on a kid's head. Just right, bam, there it is. <laughs> Boom. Um, it's more restrained than a lot I've seen, fortunately. Yes. She's covered up. Tokiyuki has arrived at uh, the uh, the sh- was Shua Shrine uh, that... Uh, Yori uh, Yorishige uh, was going to take him to, so he's being sheltered there. In Chapter Four, Suwa thirteen thirty three. Um, apparently, the maidens who work there have been tasked by Yor- with Yorishige with um, comforting Tokiyuki, and so they're like fawning all over him, and he runs away from them to start off the chapter. But before he gets very far, he falls into a pit which Yorishige had had dug up, and he's like, "What's with this hole?" And Yorishige's like, oh, I foresaw that you would flee this way. Because, you know, in this in this, in this this temple, my holy power is at its greatest because this place is full of the divine presence. So I'll know anywhere you're going to go. Um, so we get a little bit of a recap of the plot. And he says, today I'm going to begin your lessons in the martial and academic arts, which Tokyuki doesn't want to do. So he's like gonna run away and then he falls into another pit and yorishige says ah yes the second time in the future this kind of repetitive joke is called tendon because you get two pieces of tempura shrimp in your rice bowl and it isn't funny more than twice (laughs) (laughs) that's such a beautiful (laughs) remark about it uh yorishige's daughter helps dig tokiyuki up uh apologizes on her father's behalf and says hey you might say weird things and act kind of crazy, but he doesn't mean any harm. Don't worry about him. And Tokiyuki is kind of thinking about the position that he's in. He says, okay, I'm grateful for him helping me so far, but I don't really believe or trust that he has a realistic plan for the future. And this place is not a very large shrine. So it's kind of hard to believe that this place will supply me with what I need to defeat Ashikaga Takauji. Uh, we then see that Yorishige was fibbing about being able to tell where Tokiyuki was going for the pitfalls. Because he'd just been having the two uh, soldiers just dig holes all day. Like, everywhere. To the point where it's like, wouldn't he assume after he, like, falls into, like, four in the same, like, 
five foot square radius. And he's like, wait a minute. So, um, Kojiro is starts to get a little bit critical of Tokyuki talking shit behind his back. And he says, I mean, he was spoiled when he was just, you know, the heir to the shogunate. Uh, so he just runs away from everything. And Yorishige says, hey, you're, you're being unfair. At heart, Tokyuki is pure and honest. He expected that he was only going to be a puppet ruler, so he never set any goals for himself. He never recognized the importance of applying himself. And if someone is lacking here, it's me. I still have not shown him that I can help him to achieve his goals. A little bit later, uh, rain is falling and Tokiyuki's like, time to run away again, because that's what he does. Uh, And he's like, I know I'm supposed to be like studying tactics right now, but, you know, why bother? I can't put them to good use. There's no way I can do this. Yorishige, of course, anticipates that he was running away and he's, you know, appears on the horizon ahead of him. And Tokiyuki's like, Look, stop this. Stop trying to stop me. Look, I, I can I can do what you want without studying. And, you know, if your army is losing a battle, look, that I'll just run away. Right. That's what I'm good at. Right. And Yorishige says, Tokiyuki, I swear by the gods, losing is not a possibility. After all, I am a god. <laughs> That's very reassuring right there. Tokiyuki just gets disgusted by this. So this doesn't reassure him at all. So Yorishige then gets more serious and says, the rain is preventing me from showing you something. Um, And so he takes out a charm. I'm not familiar with the terminology to describe it, but it's almost like a candelabra with bells on it. Yes. And he says, I will now clear away the rain. And we get some narration that explains that during this era in history, people believed in Arahitogami. Human beings worshipped as gods, and there were three that were especially prominent. The Emperor in Kyo, the High Priest of Izumo Grand Shrine, and the High Priest of Sua Shrine. That individual fulfilled the roles of general, priest, and deity, a feudal lord of exceptional status. And as he waves the bells around, the clouds part, a literal choir of angels seems to appear and dispel the rain. And when the rain clears, there is a huge mass of soldiers who give out a huge cry right when Tokiyuki can see them. And narration concludes, the god Suomyojin resided within Yorishige, making him an object of veneration in this region. And Yorishige tells Tokiyuki that he summoned all these people this morning. They are a sect of Sua warriors who revere Suomyojin and their faith in me binds them together and gives them strength. Now do you believe me? You have a god on your side. One word for me summons 10,000 horsemen. Should you acquire the qualities of a hero and ally with divinity, you will gain warriors many times that number. So, what do you want to do? And Tokiki's like, I'll go to my desk and study. (laughs) (laughs) So, Yoroshiki's very pleased in this, and Tokiki's like, yeah, okay. I believe this guy. I, I'll, 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 he'll turn me into a hero. And there she goes like, all right, everybody, that's a wrap for today. Thank you. <laughs> and all the people that have gathered there are like, why the hell did you call us farmers away from our fields? We had work to do. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all a trick again. And Tokyuki gets pissed off. Um, but she goes like, okay, come on, let's go. You've got studying to do. And a warrior always keeps his word. Uh, and as the chapter closes out, we get narration that just says, 
Yoroshige understood Tokuyuki more than anyone and showed the boy a path to the future, thereby gaining an inestimable influence over him. Becoming a hero begins with sharpening one's teeth on a god. So I thought that this chapter was all right the first time I read it, but going through it again, I think I have a much greater appreciation for it, for the little touches that are in it. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. I was kind of meh on it at first and going through the recap I was like i enjoy it more this is an interesting series because i feel like i enjoy it way more as we recap it than i do in the moment which feels strange but yeah i like a lot of the small touches that are in it can you just imagine like that parallel universe where we didn't decide to pick this up for the recap and you you know told me about it a few weeks later. I was like i don't know it's kind of boring <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of meh <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I'm not ecstatic about this, but I, I guess like just kind of like reading through it again, knowing what's going to happen and seeing the little things and the way that the, everything unfolds helps to gain a, mm -hmm. a deeper appreciation for the composition of the chapter. Yeah, I, I will say this is obviously a chapter that is intending to kind of build up Yorishige. And I don't know if Yorishige is at least yet as interesting of a character as a narrow or kuro sensei but this is also only chapter four so there's plenty of more time to kind of show it i do like that this character is just full of tricks and facades and all these things that kind of blind and, and try to kind of like hide a true identity but I, I do like a bit of the relationship a little bit more it's it's generally fun and i'm intrigued by it. nothing's horrendous yet i guess i should say so in that way, I'm I'm kind of happy about it. Uh, I will say that I do wonder when we're going to get to the point where we have to kind of stop reiterating the premise, mm -hmm. uh, which is a little bit. It does kind of worry me a bit that we haven't gotten off to. It doesn't feel like we're building momentum yet. You know I mean? Yes, so it doesn't feel like I we do have about that, and if it'll affect the way people catch us on. Yeah, we don't quite yet have an idea what the forward momentum of this series like where are we kind of going from here like are we going to be in for a training arc or something like that for this series that's four years old or whatever or four chapters old or whatever but you know mm. who knows i guess we saw see i would say it just you know i don't think many mangaka prepare themselves for like i hope i get onto the show uh, weekly manga recap but i was gonna say if this had been chapter four instead of chapter three I don't know if I would have been as yeah. encouraged to keep it around. I I definitely know what you mean. <laughs> Speaking of chapter three. <laughs> I tell seed chapter three. Bright. Uh, so last chapter concluded with Miss Ioi allowing herself to be kidnapped by the taxi driver serial killer who very obviously got her to take candy uh, laced with some sort of uh, sleeping medication. Mm. And uh, as she comes to, uh, she is tied down to a chair with tape with a tape gag. And the guy's like, oh, you're awake, my precious star. Uh, and yeah, she's been captured. Oh, no. Except, oh, yes, because that's what you wanted to happen. We uh, also cut over to see briefly that uh, Sakon um, is, you know, trying to figure out where she is and because he's he knows that she must have already you know gotten in contact with the perp um 
uh, Iowi's kidnapper is being like, oh, you're so pretty and petite. And then he reveals a shrine behind some curtains of his uh, previous victims. And he's like, you girls can be my number one stars. And Miss Iowi seems to uh, get freaked out. Uh, tears come to her eyes. And he's like, oh, don't cry. Don't cry. This is just how it has to be. Mommy would yell at me for playing with dolls. So I'll just have to play with you instead. Oh, signifiers of you know, serial killers. Anyway. But when he takes the gag off of her, turns out she's crying in happiness. And she then immediately cuts herself loose from the bonds with some sort of hidden blade. And she's like, oh, you you say I'm your number one. I'm so happy. And Shire's like, oh, oh, wait, no, (laughs) no, it was supposed to be panicking. What's happening? So uh, he says, wait, you're not going to cry or yell. And she's like. No, I love criminals. And all I want to do is to share my life with the person who called me his number one star. <laughs> and she takes off her trench coat to reveal the lowly outfit she went down to Bonnie. She's like, I already dressed up for our date. How do you like it? And he's like, this is no, it's awful. Those aren't the clothes that you needed to wear. And he's got her, her outfit all prepared over on a dummy. And he's like, take them off or I'll take them off myself with a knife. <laughs> not a very good way to take them off sir it's, uh, they have buttons clothes. he's like yeah I'm gonna take the buttons off with my knife Like, oh man this is harder than it looks <laughs> most knives are not meant to cut through fabric <laughs> it turns out well I like so, to think he's trying to unbutton them with the knife like, he just like, keeps on like ow, ow. why is this so hard so I always like, oh, I've been rejected again. And then Sakan arrives. Nobody saw, heard him coming in because cops are ninjas. And uh, he kicks the guy in the back of the head, knocks him out. Yay. How does he tie his shoes? Um, hmm. They look like staples. Yeah, they do look like staples. Maybe it's one of those self-lacing shoes. Like from Back to the Future? <laughs> well, they have those now. Those are real. They do? Yeah, my little brother owns a pair of them. Uh, it's very amusing because every time he has to put them on, you hear him walk over to a station. You're like, (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) it's such a lame way of showing like how far technology has gotten. Like, all right, my shoes are on. I can go outside now. (laughs) Sakon asks, uh, Ioi if she's all right. And, uh, she doesn't answer him because she's rude. Uh, Ukon is there too, and Sagan's like, "Yes, this was the only one who fit the perp's criteria, and he used his we used his cab's GPS to track him here." But she's not even listening. She uh, heads over to a door over in the side of the room and uh, like starts breaking stuff. I think she's hitting a lock with a brick or something like that. So Sagan's like, "Don't compromise the crime scene," but she explains. There's still someone here, as there is a bear modeling dummy uh, there, in addition to the one that had the clothes that he had picked out for her. Um, so there's a, a lock holding the door shut, and she's like, a four-digit lock. I bet it's the same as his PIN number. <laughs> I kind of like that as a little touch, because one... He's absolutely basic enough. He probably would do that because that's just how most people are. But two, 
it was a fun way to show her stalking tendencies because he's just like saying it's like how would you know that it's like oh like she doesn't say it but she's like oh i follow him over his shoulder and see everything basically (laughs) we actually see that her stalking technique is actually like to attach herself into a harness on the perp's back and just like (laughs) they don't like oh my briefcase is way heavier (laughs) (laughs) my book bag feels really heavy today Oh, well. <laughs> uh, so the she opens the door and there is a girl chained up inside, still alive. And she's wearing the same outfit that the guy had picked out for Ioe. So she's like, oh, yeah, he must have wanted us in matching outfits. So um, the girl is, of course, freaking out because, of course, she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Sakan starts to assure her that she's going to be safe. But instead, Ioe goes forward. And kneels down in front of the girl, takes her by the face. (laughs) (laughs) Gently. It's like like this. Yes. Uh, So she embraces her and says, don't worry, you're okay now. And the girl starts to feel better. She is still tearful, but she is more happy tears, I guess. Cut to later. And I always like, Mr. Sakon, is my taste really that tacky? And Sakon's like, what? Well, I got dumped because our fashion sense is differed. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she's putting up the taxi driver's portrait on her wall. And Sakon changes the topic and says, you know, I was surprised because, you know, when you hugged that girl, it you seemed like some sort of saintly mother. By the way, I need you to fill out this report. <laughs> but I always explains herself by saying, look, I fall in love with the criminals, but the victims are innocent. I don't endorse crime, but every criminal has a reason for committing the crime that they do. And I want to validate the sadness behind those reasons. That's how my love works. I give them support and acceptance. I mean, it's never worked out for you. So Yeah, I was going to say we haven't <laughs> seen that yet, but, you know. I'm just going to stalk them. Uh, Sakan doesn't really know what to say to this, so she goes on and says, well, you know, thank you, because no one's ever saved me before, so I was really shocked by that. And we, you know, get a flashback of Sakan riding in, the, in a police cruiser with uh, Ukon and being like, why is no one else, you know, responding to the backup when I told them that I always in trouble? And Ukon's like, because it's her. Uh, she's a criminal. And to the police, she's a tool, a disposable tool. So it may not be fair to think of her that way, but that's how it is. And so we get the whole fighting poison with poison uh, metaphor again. Once you have poison on your hands, no one will reach for them. I mean, no, but maybe someone will give you the antidote. (laughs) (laughs) That's the price you pay, the cross you bear. And that's what all criminals must live with. Could that be why she accepts criminals into her life? It's almost like, her form of benevolence. And so Sakan's like, okay, I don't approve of your criminal ways, but don't think that means I won't continue to save you if needed. And he wonders to himself, is the way I feel about her now how you felt too, dad? Uh, He moves to leave, but then he says, hey, don't, put yourself in danger anymore because my duty is to protect you and I will stop you from putting yourself in danger if need be. And then he leaves. So I always like, I guess he has a point because I can't afford to die just yet. 
She takes out the unsolved case file where she was the vic- one of the victims. And she says, I still need to find this person. And kill them. <gasps> but I thought you loved them. Uh, and then we just leave off on the note of this is the tale of two detectives struggling to control poison. To its credit, I think this is the most interesting chapter we've gotten from this series so far. Mm-hmm. Still don't really like it, though. I uh, I came around on it. So at first, the first moment I read the chapter, I was, I started off hating it because, you know, like it opens up with with Aoi, like, you know, tied up in the chair with the gag. And then immediately the dude just starts monologuing. It's like, oh, I really don't want to sit here and like kind of have to like dwell in the misery of this scene of this like serial killer kind of taunting the victim. And then she immediately breaks out of it. And she's just like, Oh, this is so, like really makes him look like a fucking clown. Cause he's just yeah. like, no, you're not supposed to do this. And she's like, Oh no. Yeah. Hey, check out the dress. See, I'm ready for the date. And she's just like, I don't know what's happening. Um, I do think it's weird that like the justification for why he kidnaps women and dresses them up and then murders them is because his mom wouldn't let him play with dolls. Uh, I feel like, very stock stereotypical serial killer thing yeah it's like i feel like the you know you could have just like started wearing like cat made dresses and thigh highs and you know gone onto youtube that's another way like you could you could have done a lot of things it's a weird way to like approach that response but whatever um and i also don't quite like she says her whole deal is i'm gonna you know i fall in love with the people for like their sympathetic side and you know i i give them support and acceptance i was like if you're going to start with that maybe you should not start with like a really violent offender because this guy has been kidnapping and murdering girls and i don't know how old she's supposed to be but she refers to her mom as mommy so the one girl feels kind of young to a certain extent so he might be murdering minors on top of everything. And it's like, let's not start with him. Why don't you get a guy who fucking steals credit cards or some shit like that? Like, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't start with the guy who murders, uh, you know, young girls, basically. So um, I, I thought that was a little bit weird. And honestly, the end of the chapter with the whole explanation does really kind of almost call into question, like, why does she even work for the police department? It feels mm-hmm. almost like it would be better off if she was like a vigilante or something like that. Right. Not housed specifically at the police station. I, yeah, yeah. there's a whole lot, there's a whole gallery of moral quandaries you could work through in yes. terms of how this arrangement works out. Not all of which I always responsible for. By the way, they sanctioned the, the things that she does. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, by the by the nature of employing her, you do open yourself up to the responsibility of her actions because she is a part of your workforce. It's like, it would be a lot easier if she was a vigilante who they just don't crack down on because they're like, eh, fucking bitch solves crimes. <laughs> what can I do? You can follow her, you'll get to a criminal. Um, but instead, it's just like, I don't know, maybe she'll die. Who knows? <laughs> like... All right, whatever. Um, but I do kind of like her character. I, I really like how comforting she is when she finds the other girl. And it makes sense 
as there's sort of that implication that there was another victim in her kidnapping case that, you know, we don't know what happened to them, but, you know, it's a nice touch to show that she's, she has that empathy. Um, and she has this very sweet personality to her on the other side of her, like, Yandere detective vibes. And Seikon doesn't have a lot going for him, but he does seem admirable, and the art's good. So this is not a bad story at all. Um, and I think this is probably the best chapter of the three we got even though i spent half of the this recap kind of talking about all the bad parts of the chapter right um but i still thought it was interesting and innovative in a different way just very dumb at the same time now this has been three chapters Mm -hmm. that this series has been running so uh it is time to make our decision on this i'm personally not really in favor of continuing reading this but i would understand the arguments in favor of that because it's not awful it's just kind of weird and not good (laughs) but it's different Mm -hmm. and having different things to talk about on the podcast is a good thing yes I'm just not particularly enthusiastic about the idea of continuing to talk about it currently. I would like to, if only for that kind of what you're saying there, it is a different sort of series. Um, And I feel like, again, if it gets worse, I feel like it can 100% fall down the time paradox ghost rider trail where it it could just get ridiculous and stupid. Um, Or if not, It'll be, I, I don't know what the high point for the series is. You know, we're too early on to really say what, like, the audience judgment is. But in my general sense, I don't think this is going to run particularly long. So my thought is, I like... I don't get that impression either. Yeah, no. so I was like, maybe this is just something we end up talking about for, you know, four months. And it gives us something different in the recap or something like that. Yeah, okay, you've convinced me. Okay. It's, uh... But, I mean, when you brought Time Paradox Ghost Rider, I was like, you know what, you're fucking right. <laughs> like, what? It could, it could the just series was garbage, but boy, did we have a good time with that one. So. <laughs> All right, so I don't need Dol- right. I don't need Dolph Ziggler's theme song for this one. All right, I'm gonna close that phone. <laughs> well, I was gonna tr- see if we could like bargain something out, but like, but again, oh, just know I have it. Also, I, I have a ha- I have a handle now, so just know it's even oh, it's, it's nice. becoming more and more. I feel like I would have I would have I would have felt bad long term if I had made you blow it this early too. So it's okay. I might just use it next week for, for Witch Watch to punish both of us. <laughs> so Maguchan, God of Destruction, chapter thirty one. Gula the Adamantine. <laughs> What's up, Chris? It's just I don't know. I just started laughing because I remember that this chapter was basically like, you know, like the end of a a harem series has to like pair off all the spares, basically like that old trope. This is like that, but everyone has to get their Pokemon. (laughs) It's like like everyone's supposed to get a power up and they did the main characters and gave them theirs. And then they're like, shit, there's like a bunch of side. Like, how are we going to get fucking Matt and TK their crest? I don't know. They find it in a well or something like or not Matt and TK. Uh, What was it? Joe? And TK, I think, it whatever. It was, uh, it was Matt and Izzy found theirs in a well Matt and Izzy, while they were right. with Pixiemon. Yeah, you're just like, I don't know, you find it in a well. They were right next to each other. Like, we have to get some of these fucking done, okay? Ties was the first they found. 
And yes. then Joe's was in the soccer coliseum. That's right. I forget it because it wasn't actually a Joe centric episode at all. It was a, no, a it was Thai centric. Yeah. One. Mimi got hers when they were on the after they were on the desert cruise ship. There was the giant cactus that sent it away, and it was That's over right, the giant yeah. cactus. Then Sora was the last one they got because she hers was at the bottom of the pyramid that Natamon yes. was in. One, two, three. Where did TK get his? Oh, I don't remember that one. Was it a lighthouse? I don't remember. I did. I, I, I'm trying to even think if he got his at the same time or did he get his later? I don't remember. Because he, he didn't he didn't evolve into Magna Angelmon until the Dark Masters arc. So I don't remember when he got his. Someone is saying it was a cave exit. That sounds about right. Okay, fine. Why would I bother to remember anything that I do? With <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was also great. We so stopped the guy who rattled off all the crest locations. Other than that, <laughs> <laughs> like we stopped the podcast dead too for like two minutes to be like, "It's important, guys." Matt, Matt, and Nancy got there. When Joe got his second. <laughs> We'll be doing that yes. if we couldn't have <laughs> figured it out. Crunchyroll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah, this is uh, Kyo getting her her Demon Lord yes. partner one. That's that's the conclusion of this. Might as well get that out of the way. That's it. How we got there, I did enjoy the journey because this guy that they meet, Gula, the Adamantine, he starts off as this massive serpent head that they see pop up on the beach. And uh, he challenges Makamanuaku to fight him because he wants to be the, the true god of destruction by proving he's more powerful than Makamanuaku. And Magu responds to this challenge by using his eye beams and immediately blowing the guy apart. His <laughs> head falls to the ground. So they think he's dead. And Ruru's like, Magu, why'd you do that? It's like, he was just another rankless being freed from his seal. I merely countered his hostility with due force. Anyway, let's go. Home. <laughs> <laughs> so Kyo stays behind while everyone else has to go home to dinner. Ruru gets over the hole. You killed a man, Maku, by being like, I need to go make dinner. <laughs> but Kyo stays behind because she wants to get a bio, bio sample and run tests on it. But as she stays behind and is left on her own, a shadow looms up behind her. The next day, uh, everyone realizes that Kyo is missing. So they're like, oh, man, maybe maybe she ran away. Uh, and uh, so they they go check out the beach to see if they can find her. And uh, they get back to the beach as Rue's worrying about her. And there's Kyo inside the mouth of the beast that emerged. And, he, and he's just kind of like hanging out there with Kyo in his <laughs> mouth. Has been presumably for close to 24 hours. <laughs> And uh, Kyo's not as upset about this as you might think because she's a little weirdo. So uh, Gula is like, fight me, Magu! And uh, so um, Magu's like, how cowardly of you to use one of my followers as a shield. And Ruru's like, that's dangerous. Let her go. And Gula's like, oh, yeah, it is dangerous. I guess I'll just drop right away. And Ruru's like, wait, weren't you holding her in your mouth as a hostage? And Gula just kind of goes, <laughs> Fuck it, fight me! Like he just, <laughs> he's like, stop trying to play mind games. Fight me! <laughs> uh, so Magu's like, and he's 
pretty dumb, isn't he? He's like, don't insult me! I'm super strong! <laughs> so, they get ready to fight. And uh, Magu challenges Gula to show him his power. And so he's like, ah, prepare yourself! Behold! And he just gets out a bunch of empty aluminum cans gathered from around the beach. So he's like, I spent all last night picking them up from the beach with this lowly human! Now I'll crunch them down and crush them. And he makes them into a perfect ball by squeezing all the cans down in his jaws. And <laughs> Maku looks at this for a second. And he pulls a freaking ball and chain out of his mouth and knocks the ball away. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I can produce metallic spheres even without scrap metal. <laughs> uh, so... Gula is, kind of, is upset because Magu's not even the least bit shaken by him showing off. Naputuku arrives because fuck it, why not? Naputuku's here. Everything's better now. Yay. So he s- explains that his hermit minions were frightened, so he came to deceive what was going on. He sees Gula and is like, ah, what the hell? Uh, Ruru explains by going yada, 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 which is my fi- one of my favorite things about Magu-chan is that that's just like, anyway, I explained. So, <laughs> um, so Naputuku is like, oh, this guy could be of use to me. Uh, so he says, look, you pit strength against strength. That's just barbaric. You must attack his weakness using trickery and cooking. <laughs> that was my favorite moment of the chapter where Naputuku comes in with his lessons and he's like, you gotta, you, you gotta get at them with cooking and trickery. <laughs> it's like the two things he cares about. <laughs> so he's like, look, Magu is no good at creation. He's got no sense for it. So Kyo gets an idea. It's like, oh, we could do a sand bi- castle building competition. And Gulag gets this huge, big, happy grin. So he's like, oh, it's a great <laughs> I'm shocked it hasn't been made into a uh, emoji on our Discord at this point. Well, there's only so many mockery Discord <laughs> interactions you get. <laughs> so he uses Big Maw to shape the sand together. Magu is just going to make a little foil with his tentacles. And uh, so Gula crushes the sand from deep down inside the earth and makes what looks kind of like a birdhouse, honestly, with his powers. Uh, And then (laughs) they look over. Magu's still just making a little hill. But the hermit crabs have made a beautiful, like, Japanese-style temple with a little Naputuku on top of it. (laughs) So they're like, oh, the hermit crabs win the competition. (laughs) So... Gula gets pissed off at this, and he crushes the sandcastle, which sends Naputuku flying Team Rocket style into the sky. <laughs> and Gula gets is really pissed off now. He comes bustling in towards Magu, and he's like, I'm going to crush this town and show you my power! Uh, and Ragu's like, oh no, what about Kyo? Kyo's riding around in Gula's neck because she's weird like that. And so Magu's like, oh, if I release my destructive power, I will strike my follower! Uh, so Gulag starts to go, shut up! Everyone shut up! Everyone's always belittling me! Mocking and laughing at me! And Kyo suddenly gets a bit of insight about the way he's been acting this this far. He's like, I know what you are. I get it now. Lord Magu, this is just an intimidation tactic. He only wants everyone to think he's big and strong. And Magu realizes, oh, it is no wonder I failed to recognize him. And he gets all the hermit crab's attention and says, go, Pipsqueaks! Dig in the sand and expose this fiend! And they go digging into the dirt right at the base of Gula. And it turns out he's a weird crab guy. And the giant serpent thing is just one of his claws made really big. 
So he's upset because he's been exposed and he's humiliated. Uh, and he introduced himself again as Gula the Adamantine, which Maga says is a specialized power that regenerates and strengthens one's physical form. He hid his true weakened form and used his power to disguise his arm as a body. So Maga's, you know, kind of gives Gula a little bit of, you know, encouragement by saying, I am not attached to the trite title God of Destruction, but if you wish to become a god, your actions are what matter the most, not how you look. He's patting him on the head when he <laughs> says this. So Gula is just upset about this, of course. But Kyo picks him up from the ground. It's like, hey, there's no need to feel ashamed. We're not laughing at you. I lived my whole life in hiding, and I can understand a little bit about how you feel. And I want to know more about you. So why don't you come home with me? And Gula is like, you want to see more of my power? <laughs> everything works out. Because a few days later, they're at the occult club, and they want to have snacks. So Kyo produces Gula, and he's going to open up the snack bags with his power. And he's like, behold my power! <laughs> uh, Gula is an extremely fun character, and I do love all the jokes about Gula in this chapter. It is a shame that Gula is attached to by far the most boring character in Maguchan. Like, yeah. even every time they cut to her, it's something where it's like, it sure looks like uh, fucking whatever her name is, is having a really good time. And she's like, tee hee hee hee. I'm like, man, it's just nothing. There is nothing in this character. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit of a sadness there, but I, I think Gula was fun. And this is definitely the most Pokemon design of a Maguchan character oh, yeah. to this point. A crab where its eyes are on its claws. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do like Gula a lot. Uh, I, I think it's going to, at, at the very least, whenever Kyo comes by, it's like, oh, mixed bag instead of the worst character, because yeah. at least she's going to bring Gula with her. So. <laughs> uh, I do quite like him. I like him more than uh, the, the depressed one. Um, and I do not hate him. So, yeah, I love this is an interesting chapter and uh, we'll see uh, what else uh, this guy gets up to. Yeah. So. It's interesting now there's another god, so I presume we're going to at some point start having to move into why all these gods are showing up. There was the implication a couple times now that something might be going on with the Holy Knights. So I wonder if we're slowly starting to set up the seeds for an actual, like, long plot for Maguchan that isn't, is mom going to come home for Christmas? Yeah. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. All right. So, new series, Sports Manga, has returned to Weekly Shonen Jump. Chris, as soon as I saw the baseball caps for this promotional image, I was like, God, I hope that this works out. <laughs> I know, right? I need a Sports Manga <laughs> Jump. It's, it. it's been so long. I know it's only been half a year, but shut up. <laughs> it feels ancient, especially because... We have had the weird luck that, so when we started Weekly Manga Recap, most of it wasn't being published at the time. So Hinamaru Zomu never got published, and I think Kuroko's Basket had already started. And I think you might have talked about a couple chapters of it back in, like, the way early days. Maybe. But, like, yeah, it wasn't when we covered. Uh, and then we didn't catch on Haikyuu when it started because it wasn't being simul-published at that point. Mm -hmm. And then after that ended... There's just been, like anytime we've picked up a sports series, it's ended like immediately yeah. or it just didn't it's, get like children. Yeah. yeah. Something it's like managed. that. Yeah. 
So, so this is nine dragons ball paradise. <laughs> hey, that's the emphasis in the in the logo, not mine. Okay. <laughs> um, chapter one, the start of a dream. Now it is a baseball manga. Yes. And I know baseball is one of the most boring sports imaginable. <laughs> I, I almost like as like when I first saw the like the title and like heard the premise, I was like, "Fine, just give it to me." Like it was somewhere. I was like, "I just anything, any sport right now, I'll take." So yeah, I was right there with you. I was like, they, it, it was like between this and golf. They're like, which of the worst sports can we pick to make a manga out of? I was like, I'll take it. Just give it to me. Give it to me. So we are introduced to our main character, Tamo. Tamao, sorry. And uh, he, uh, it starts off with him as a kid watching Hakuo High School, uh, dominating the West Tokyo High School baseball tournament. They get to go to the Koshien, and they've been doing this for like years in a row. And he's watching as like a middle schooler, be like, oh, this is so cool. And he's like, hey, my name is Tamal, and my motto is safety first. I'm a small kid. I'm pretty nervous, but and when you know, whenever I was a, like when I was a kid, if I wanted to go down a slide, I'd let all the kids go ahead of me, and I never ended up having my turn. That's the kind of person I am. But then one day I realized, hey, it's cool to be strong, and so I decided that I wouldn't give up on my dream for anyone. And we see that he has really dedicated himself to this. Uh, when it's time for him to go into high school, he has been training for the entire intervening two-year period. He has been running. He has been studying. Uh, he's been dieting to you know facilitate good growth and and you know fortitude and all that stuff. He's got this shit down. And not only has he been studying, he has been studying individual players on different teams their skills their weaknesses so that he knows what to expect from any potential rival mm-hmm. and so he's like you know i've i've, I've thoroughly researched everything everything is going according to plan and he gets now, that villainous glasses glare as he's studying baseball players now this is where i have a small issue small shonen issue. jump are cowards what fucking cowards because if they were ballers they would have absolutely said everything is going according to Keikaku and then had a little asterisk that says Keikaku means plan because that would have been fucking hilarious. Also, if they, if uh, the author had balls, then uh, Tamao would have been studying and then his older brother Inui would have come in and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> still on about that data baseball. Yeah, still on about that data tennis. Yeah, OK. <laughs> So uh, he has a good breakfast for that day. He, he like breaks down what every individual item in the breakfast is meant to do for him. I think that this is going to make him throw up personally. But... It's a lot. It's a lot of carbs. But, you know, I, you know, he is going to be working out. I love, though. Yeah, everything has its little detail, except like the milk. It's just like coffee's too bitter without it. <laughs> like, like milk's not like a great thing. To... <laughs> He's just like, I need it. No, <laughs> Coffee sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so he jogs for 45 minutes. By the way, this guy is like, I could not do what this kid does physically. Okay. when Especially when I was a teenager. This dude runs one and a half kilometers in under five minutes. That's roughly a mile yes. in under five minutes. That's insane for 
someone going into high school. So and also not someone who considers it. He doesn't consider himself athletically gifted at all. Like, that's the thing is like five minute mile is is phenomenal. If some for someone who's like, oh, you know, I'm the weakest physical player on this team. Like, all right. Like, you might not be physically strong or fast. But you got fortitude. Oh, yeah. if you're, you're like, I can just keep running for five minutes. And he's not even sweating after he's done timing himself. <laughs> what is this kid? <laughs> he gets to a tryouts the next uh, after after that. And he immediately is like, oh, wow, these these guys are like famous players among like the high school recurring circles. I have no idea how this guy's been gathering this information. These guys would have been in middle school before <laughs> this. How does he know all this about them? Uh, I do like how each of them has like, you know, uh, ability, track record, yes. chance of selection, uh, percentages pop up under their name. And for himself, he just has random kid with glasses, <laughs> chance of selection, lol. <laughs> but he's like, it's OK, it's OK. Shake it off. I've prepared more for this more than anybody. We then meet uh, the head scout of the team, Mr. Fuku Fukuchi. <sighs> I'm not going to remember that. I'm just going to call him scout guy. <laughs> okay. So he passes out uh, numbers to everyone. He's like, all right, we're going to get started. Uh, and he's like, he starts to say what they're going to do first. Uh, but suddenly someone behind Tamao just goes. Uh, and uh, the scout's like, Tao Ryudo, was that a yes or are you yawning? He's like, oh, I was both. Sorry, man. Uh, if I didn't hate Matt Riddle, I'd do a Matt Riddle impression for this guy. So, but, um, uh, immediately gets pissed off because the guy's like, this guy's not taking this seriously at all. Meanwhile, Ryudo is just like, Hey, tryouts are starting. Let's have some fun. We're playing baseball. That's fun. Right. And Tamao's like, we're going on a 1500 meter run before this. Oh, that's not fun though. All right, let's go. So. <laughs> He's like, tr he's like being like, hey, why aren't you taking this seriously? Come on, like, oh, wait, I've got to run. And he's getting distracted by the guy all throughout the practice as they go through different things. Uh, but even though Tamao is making it through under the line and he's getting pissed off at this guy, the guy is very easily breezing through all of these tests. He's yes. clearly very physically gifted, even without trying very hard. Um, they, you know, go through like the, 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 the long toss is one of the last physical uh, tests. And uh, Tamao manages to pass by throwing the ball far enough, uh, which was apparently a big weakness for him. He's like, oh, my God, I, I struggled after all this, but I, I made it. I made it. I actually managed to be, you know, get my physical limitations uh, past them. And he was like, oh, yeah, I passed, too. I threw it 20 meters farther than you did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then they see this big hulking guy throw the ball way past the markers into the fence on the other side of the field, blowing past both of their, of their throw marks. And, uh, Azu, I guess we'll call him. Cause that's what Ryudo is calling him is like, who's that guy? Is he famous? And Azu's like, I, I have no idea who that guy is, but he's introduced as Daichi Kunoshiro, a 30 year old man going into high school. So, um, and this guy is also trying out for the same position that Azu is, which is catcher. And he's like, I mean, this kind of team, they only need one catcher. They're only going to be recruiting one of us. Mm -hmm. I've got to actually beat this guy. So the last part of their uh, tryout is going to be pitting the applicants against each other in a five inning game. And of course, so that puts Azu 
and uh, Kunoshiro on opposite sides. So I was just like, all right, all this research I've been doing, I can do this. I can make this team. And so they're like, all right, all right, right. Uh, this guy's pitcher is uh, Arisawa. Okay, got it. He's got a great slider. So in order to get good mileage out of it, we'll set it up with a fastball for the first pitch. And the pitcher, meanwhile, is on the mound. He's getting this signal from Azu. He's like, I'm not going to take some signals from this <laughs> asshole. Yeah. A slider is my first pitch. And it immediately gets for a home run. It's like, fucking listen to your fucking catcher, you idiot. So immediately, Team A is taking a lead over Azu's Team B. Uh, and people are blaming the difference in catchers because uh, Kunoshiro is so talented and Azu is not doing so well because his pitcher's not listening to him and he's really nervous and upset about this. Uh, so he tries to, you know, call the players over. He's like, hey, can we like strategize? And they're not, they're like, what? What do you want? Nothing. Sarito's like, hey, why don't you speak up? And I was like, they don't trust me. I'm just some nobody. So. Ryudo is like, well, it's my turn to pitch, so I'll show them. And uh, I was like, oh, you're a you're a pitcher, yeah. So uh, he's you know trying to get the team back in good spirits. Like, all right, let's do this. He throws a pitch. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to note this now. So one of the things I think that really works in this series' strong point is the art is really good at the action, like. If you want to show that this guy's fastball is incredible, you make it look like a fucking Dragon Ball Z attack where like there's there's like the spiral and then a spiral of wind behind like over top of it. Like it's it looks freaking awesome. Yeah, he basically fires like a special beam cannon that curves around and it's uh, noted as like a rising fastball. So very difficult to hit and no one's got any information on this guy at all. So they're like, oh, wow. We could have a real ace on our hands with this guy. So I was like, all right, this guy, I mean, geez, he's got speed, power, and he's got such wonderful, subtle manipulation of tempo and his arms like a whip you never see coming. It's like talking about boxer yeah. in a way. Um, so he analyzed all this and uh, then he's like, OK, well, what kind of pitches do you have? He's like, oh, I can throw a bat, fastball, and uh, that's it. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can put it inside or outside, so give me some good hand signals, Azu! Yeah! So Azu starts picking this out, and he's like, okay, fastball's only, only two locations, so I need to figure out how to get the first two strikes, and then once we get there, we finish them off with that high fastball. And they start throwing batters out, and they're like, oh, wow, this guy's crazy good. And I, no one's even getting close to this. Kunoshiro, the big bulky catcher, is the next guy. And so they're like, all right, we'll see how this guy handles this. And he goes like, we're going to strike this guy out, right? I mean, if we want to even the score, we've got to strike this guy out first, right? And I was like, I mean, yeah, but I don't know if you can go head to head with this guy. But Ryo puts his hand on Azu's shoulder and he says, you're my catcher. Flash me the sign for whoever's best. So they do that. Kunoshiro starts talking some sh shit. And he's like, that fastball's not going to work on me. Ba 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 da ba da so uh, Azu immediately figures out what to do is like, this guy's really confident in himself. He doesn't think we'll pitch to where it's easy for him to hit a, hit a home run. So we'll pitch in at him to get his confidence off. And then once we've gotten him to do strikes, we'll just do a low pitch. And he won't see it coming because he'll be expecting the high pitch we've been striking everyone else, else out with. And it all goes exactly according to plan. They strike the guy out. And everyone's like, holy shit, man, you're such a good pitcher. And Rio takes Azu and puts him in front of himself and he's like, it's all thanks to this guy's signals. And then he says, and hey, not just that, 
he's got an even better ace up his sleeve. He's got a plan for us to turn this game around so everyone listen up. And he's clearly not talked with, over this over with Azu before. He's like, you're right. I'm right, right? He's like, yeah, I guess I do think I know. So he says he thinks that he knows the way to beat Kunoshiro when he's playing catcher, which is that he's super confident. He doesn't trust his pitcher at all. He's trying to get strikes with his signals. So, for example, he backs the batter up with an inside pitch, calls for an outside one. It's very basic, you know, back the bit pitch, batter off the plate, throw when they can't reach it then. So this will be our strategy. And so everyone's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. They get they have a big cheer like, hey, let's do this. Let's make, let's go, all make the team together. The scout is observing this and is, is going, hmm. <laughs> In his creepy, non-changing facial expression yeah. way. Constant closed eyes and weird, weird grin. So Azu's instructions to the players are when you get an inside pitch, jump away from the plate and look startled as if you're intimidated. But then you'll just expect the next pitch to go outside. Wait for that. And you can hit it because you'll see it coming. And they start getting hits. They start to pile up gradually. They start to make some gains. And now it's the bottom of the fifth, the last inning. They're down just one run and they've got runners on base and Azukita is next up at the plate. So Time brings in a new pitcher. And so they're like, oh man, we're in trouble. How, how's this guy going to handle it? And Azu's like, okay, I know this guy. He's Ryuhei Ohira. I've seen a lot of film of him playing. and I know all about you, the way you tilt your hips slightly when you're about to throw a slider. And he hits the first pitch that he sees, basically. Hits it between left and center field. And the runner makes it home, and everyone is safe on base, and they freaking win, win uh, after this, the uh, second runner makes it. And everyone's like, hey, Azu, you did it. You're the MVP of our team. And everyone's, you know, patting him on the back and smiling at him and stuff. And Azu just says, I'm so glad because, you know, in baseball, you can be good at defense. You can be a fast runner. You can be strong. If you have one real strength, you can shine. Even me, if I really, really do my homework... I can be of value to the team. I'm so glad I fell in love with baseball and with this team, and I'm really glad. And he just starts to tear up. And Rio puts his arm around his shoulder and says, hey, save the tears for the end. Oh, what a nice chapter. Yeah. What a nice little story. I'm glad these guys are going to join the same team together. What a a nice uh, friendship that formed as these two new teammates. Mm -hmm. The scout calls them forward, and he says, if I call your name, you made the team. Taryudo. Of course, Rio makes the team. And I was just like, I can feel it. My dream, our dream, is going to begin now. Next, the catcher, Daichi Kunoshiro. Mm. And Azu is completely dumbstruck by this. He had not believed in himself. He doubted himself going into this. But as the game progressed, he really did believe he had done enough. And now, like, the life is drained from his eyes. He looks dizzy from how much he can't believe this. And he's like, what about me? What did I do wrong? And the scout's like, you've got an excellent mind, Asukita. You guided your pitchers with good signs. You saw the opponent's patterns, proposed brilliant tactics. The difference between you and Kunoshiro is what won your team the game. And I will say, at this moment, Chris, I thought we were going to get, like, you're going to be our, we would like you to try being, you know, a manager on the team, yeah. a coach or something like that. That's not what he says. But what he says makes an equal amount yeah. of sense. Which is, 
we don't need that at Hakuo. We've got a 50-man team of analysts working for us. They research our rivals, devise strategies. They direct the catcher's signals a lot of the time. What we need at Hakuo are tough soldiers to carry out our orders. We don't need players who compensate for their physical weakness with mental strength. And so Azakita is sent packing. And he's like, all right, that's everyone. You're all members of the Hakuo Empire starting today. Your training, your meals, your, your academics. Hakuo will support everything you do, including your path after you graduate high school. You've got illustrious baseball careers ahead of you. But then Moriudo speaks up and he's like, hey, uh, I have a request. We cut back over to Azakita as he's walking home depressed and sad and just kind of stewing in it. And he's like, I guess I'm kind of relieved. And he just kind of starts to go into coping mode. Like, eh, I can play. I can this, try playing a video game. now." This hit so hard where this kid's just like, I guess I'll just stop exercising. I'll just eat junk food and play video games and fucking do everything. I don't know. Yeah. It, oh man, it hits so hard. And he's just like, yeah, no need for me to push myself anymore. But then he's like, you know what? I can't lie to myself. My dream is over. And he's just tears are just going down his face as he just kind of leans against the, the rail of a bridge and looks out over nothing. And Ryudo's there. And he says, hey, don't take it so hard, Azu. And uh, Azu's like, did you come to cheer me up? I mean, look, it's it's. You, you, look, you you made the team. I, you know, you can't really help me out with that right now. And Ryudo's like, yeah, I turned it down. I have a request for you. The best catcher I've ever met. Will you join me to form the best team ever? And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. This really worked for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't really know where it was going to go. Uh, but then when it got there, I was like, that's a really nice little story you told. Yes. And I really do feel like I know these two characters really well right now and how their dynamics going to play out. And I look forward to seeing more of it. Uh, and it's not even about the baseball. It's about what baseball means to these two kids, which yes. is really nice. I will say I did see a little bit of chatter in, the, in our discord that made me realize like this chapter really did not do a lot to explain the sport of baseball at, not all, at all, which makes sense. If it, there's going to be a sport that doesn't get explained in a manga, it's going to be baseball because there's been baseball is such a big thing in Japan. I was going to say, it's like, like it's a sport that's not only big in Japan, but big everywhere. Like, I, I think for the most part, I guess maybe Europe not, isn't huge. Not everywhere. Yeah, like we've got, I guess that's not true. But some, you know, people in we've got some European members of our Discord who were like, "I don't really get this. What is this? That is, is true. baseball popular?" <laughs> so, I guess soccer. Soccer is probably the most like common sport now. Why recognizable? I would say that soccer is probably sorry, the football. Football association football. Uh, so. I do understand that, and I th and I think that people from like you know Latin American countries. That, that's US, what I was thinking. I was like, it's the U.S. I know it's big in Latin America countries. Like I, I know it's a bigger deal. So I do think that they kind of take it for granted. So I do understand if you were like, I don't, I can't really follow this because I'm not familiar with baseball and it doesn't really do anything to explain it. I was able to just kind of look past baseball, which, as I said at the beginning of this, 
is a very boring sport. (laughs) So, uh, because, hey, these characters don't think it's boring. They think it's fun, and it means a lot to them. And I I think that that really carries this chapter, just how much Azu wants to make this team, and he does literally everything as perfectly as he can. He works so hard for this, and he just gets told no. Not because you're bad, but because you're not what we're looking for. And it's that kind of cold adult thing that happens sometimes, which is your skill set does not match what we're looking for. And we don't have anything for you. But the dream's not over. Yeah. So we're going to see exactly where things go from here. Are they going to go to a different high school together (laughs) or what are they going to do? Yeah, I'll be very curious. It it felt a lot like the first chapter of Haikyuu where Haikyuu kind of set itself up like here's Hinata and here's um, um, blanking on his name. Uh, The Karama? No. I don't know. Regardless, here's here's these two characters and their rivals. Uh, you know, we're going to set these guys up and they're going to be rivals forever. And that kid's going to go on to a big school, Kageyama. And, uh, you know, Kageyama's going to go on to a big school. Hinata's going to go to the school that he most likes. And then they're going to meet in the f- oh, end of the chapter. Kageyama's at, at the same school. Yeah. And it's that twist that gets you like, okay, I'm into it. Because that's the thing. Like, they start this chapter. And for a moment, I was like, it almost feels like uh, he's going to make the team. And I was like, but what do you do from there? Because this is the best team. team i was like how are they gonna have interesting fights so when he loot when he gets he doesn't make the team you're like oh man i wonder if that's the thing if they're gonna have this other guy be his rival and then the kid's like i have a request to make which does make me laugh a little bit because i was like yes what's your request i would like to quit the team like (laughs) i request (laughs) i request to leave like i guess he's a very polite kid so i guess that's what i request you all to go fuck yourselves I request everyone here to beat a big bag of dicks. Goodbye. Um, so, you know, when you see the two of them join up, it's something that's pretty exciting because you're like, okay, cool. I'm looking forward to actually seeing these two put together a team and have to go from the bottom because, like, the 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 progress levels are there. Like, um, Tao is a great player, but he knows no pitches. So, you know, he only knows his fastball. So, like, there's a level of, like, okay, Tao needs to learn the game. And presumably we're going to get other cast-off players or things like that. So, like, like, uh, what, Aku is his name? Or the main kid? Uh, Are you talking? The main kid. Oh, Asu. Asu? Asu. Asu Kida. So, Ryudo calls him Asu. Asu. Yeah. Uh, So, Asu maybe is going to have to be this, this... you know, keystone linchpin kind of person who has to get all these players who maybe are kind of deficient in some way to actually like get them up there using his strategy. I, I just think that the premise is so strong. I love the relationship these two characters have. And again, it's just the emotion of it. Like it really destroyed me to read Azu just thinking to himself like, Oh, all right. I don't have to try anymore. I'll just start eating junk food and playing video games and staying up till 6 a.m. Because who gives a fuck? I don't. Uh, my dream's gone. And it's just like, it's so brutal. It's so brutal, but I love it. And there was also a great twist played with the color page because they did put the two characters in the Haikudo uniform. So for a moment, yeah. you do believe they are going to join that team. Yeah. But, well, I mean, they were wearing the uniforms for the practice but yeah yeah um now there are a lot of baseball manga that have run in shonen jump that have just not worked out 
So I'm going to try not to hold my breath (laughs) for this series to get really good and for people to all love it. Because as many sports series as you see run in Shonen Jump, a lot of them don't pan out very well. So I really want this to A, be good, and B, last a while. One is no good without the other, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, of the four series that we've gone through, well, I've got to talk about the other one. So (laughs) I feel as though currently with the four new series that we've got, this one I like. I tell C is interesting and the elusive samurai is both yes it's interesting and it's good this one is neither (laughs) (laughs) but nick when she vomits her bar her confetti was uh her barf was confetti so which watch chapter two a magical duo things happen end of chapter so (laughs) there's a couple of things there's I don't want to go through this chapter. It'll take me so long. Can we? Can, can, can I can sum it up very easily? Can we start with the fact that there is an unexplained joke that uh, Nico is like doing an office style talk to the camera scene yes. that is, I guess, happening in some sort of one division like separate reality because characters are interacting with it at certain points, like interrupting her to be like, "No, there's a fire. You have to get out." Like, I don't. I guess she's telling it to herself. I don't know. Yeah, she's kind of like it's kind of like happening in real time because she's giving the narration. And then as while they're out uh, and Moi is like, there's a fire. (laughs) And she's like, what What are you talking? Oh, a fire. So that happens when they go out shopping after she's used her magic to make the bags light. So there's a person trapped in a burning building. And Moi's like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm going to go fly up there and save them. And he's like, well, that's dangerous, though. Because he's worried after the prophecy he heard about from his dad. But she's like, well, I'm going to be a great witch who helps people. And she takes the the, the broom out and uh, Kiki flies up and saves her friend slash love interest from falling. And it was after not being able to fly after that part of the movie. And uh, everyone's happy. And I was happy because that movie was bad. And it was bad. <laughs> that scene. Oh, shit. Over, so. Not only are we taking down which one we're taking. I hate Kiki's delivery service. Come at me. All right. (laughs) So Moe sees Nico is determined to save this woman. So he's like, all right, well, I'm going with you. You concentrate on the flying and I'll do the rescuing. Okay. And they fly up and they're like, come on, man, we'll save you. And the woman eventually goes like, we're flying on a broom. But she doesn't say that in this moment, presumably because she's got more important things to worry about. Moe catches her as she, as she jumps off the balcony, but oh no, the broom has reached its weight limit because there's three people on top of it. So Moe's like, as they're crashing to the ground, like, I know, Nico, use the spell that you used before to make things light and cast it on me. So she casts it on him, and they're like, oh, good, good. It's it's lighter, and so we we're saving a little bit more. And then Moe starts going, yeah, that's like super awesome. Uh, so being light made him light-minded? Uh-huh. Which means he's a dit now. You like that joke because that's the last one we have, and it lasts five pages. 
until they've saved the woman and Nico cast the spell on herself because they're still too heavy. And they're both going, yeah, okay, tole, yeah. And then they go and get their shopping bags, which they left behind to go and save the girl. And when they get home, suddenly everything is super heavy. Like, oh, my God, what happened? And he goes like, oh, and she looks up. My spell has a, an after effect, which makes everything super heavy when it wears off. And they're like, oh, no. And then they get super heavy and fall to the ground and they get all super depressed and sad. And then they just kind of are gloomy for their for the last panel. And that's the joke. I'm sorry. This is not funny. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's uh, not on Kiki's delivery service. I'm not going to fucking stand on that hill with you. I think I'm going to let you stake the arrows on that you one. Have, you, you don't have to. I'll stand alone. I've been bearing that for half my life. Okay. But I need um, you to be with me on this one. Yeah, I'm with you here. Witch Watch uh, sucks. It's it's not funny. Uh, I The art in it is pretty good. But these characters are not entertaining. These jokes are not funny. These premises are not interesting. It's like, it's act like if you had won the veto in the bank, this is what you should use it on. Like if you wanted to make me suffer the most, this is actively unpleasant and painful to read because it is a comedy. Like, so the only comedy and jump that was worse this week was a uh, high school family, which is an up and down series. This week was really, really bad. Uh, but high school family is done in like eight pages. Like, re- <laughs> yeah. Well, um, less so. Like, imagine you got like hit in the head with uh, like a like a like a, like a uh, sledgehammer, and then the next day you got hit in the head with a regular hammer. Like, the regular hammer is less painful. So in that way, yeah, it ebbs and flows. <laughs> I don't know. I feel as though the sledgehammer is so powerful that you don't feel some of the impact, and then it makes you tender. So the smaller hammer, you might feel more pain. Maybe the sledgehammer chapters are the ones I'm enjoying. Then maybe the jokes are so bad, like I kind of like <laughs> I kind of like my mind zones out, and it's like some of the just flows. Anyway, it's a really unfunny series, and it's not particularly like. Like I know some people are really excited because they're like, I like the main character. I like that she's kind of like a thirst trap for this guy. And I was like, I don't know. I guess that's what Ayakashi Triangle is for me. Is like yeah. a lead female who's just relentlessly hungry for the main character. And like, I guess it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I'm just like, it's, I feel bad because a lot of people like it. Ace is the letterer for it. Like, I, sh- I like. And it's great lettering. I'll say that. Um, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I. It's a nice touch that they do not uh, the enjoy. Font this. changes yeah. when they're when they get uh, bimbified. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a nice, it, nice touch. It's just the jokes aren't. They're not landing uh, for me. And again, I don't know yeah. if like maybe it translates better in Japanese. The idea of like I cast light on us, so our personalities get light, so we become airhead. Like Joe, it's just one of those things. Where I'm just like, yeah, it's not. It's not doing it. Remember when Naruto had the time skip and Karui married Joji because her name means light? And he's heavy. Holy shit. I forgot there was some stupid pun. And like, wasn't she a cat person? No, that was uh, Eno. Did no, he marry that was, like, that a was cat person? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, one of the most obscure characters to show up in that whole thing was like some girl that Sasuke and company hung out with for a little bit to hide 
Like, yeah. And, and, but because she was the only cat associate person in the cast, she got with Kiba. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, anyway, yeah, it's yeah, it, it is what it is. Maybe chapter three will be better. We haven't we don't get to decide quite yet. Maybe maybe the next mm-hmm. one's where we all turn mm-hmm. around. Maybe the cast of Astro Lost in Space will show up and it'll just be the continuing adventures yeah. of the crew of the Astros. <laughs> Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned, Nick. Z equals 185. Lovely cleavage. Plain. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in this cover page, by the way. Oh, Kaseki's fucking river dancing on Senku's big stupid face. Yeah, he's like, oh. <laughs> oh, man, Senku has a stepping fetish, and Koseki is the hottest person in the group, you know? Step on me. I don't yeah. know. So, Senku and company have made their petrification <laughs> I was, was going to say Koseki's the closest thing they have to a nine-foot-tall vampire woman, but he's actually the furthest thing they have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd have to be like that one muscly woman that's with uh, Stanley's group, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure people ask her to step on them all the time. So probably. So anyway, um, they still, of course, need a petrification device for their petrification tower to actually work. And Kaseki has been at work on this all the time, and he's actually managed to pop open one of the Medusa devices without breaking it. He just got a little panel off. Uh, and they're really impressed by this, but he says, it's all thanks to my guts, but I've also left a mountain of failures. Well, you've been working hard, buddy. Good, good for you. So, uh, Gen proposes that they replicate what Joel did before, pop out the diamond and then reinsert it to try and get the device to work for a split second. I guess like, it's like, no, I, I already tried that and it did not work. Which Senku points out, like, yeah, well, these are much older devices, which I don't know how he'd be able to tell, but that's what he says. So, um, because he just concludes, we have to just dig deep down into our guts and craft one for ourselves, a new diamond battery, the perfect shape and size. Meanwhile, Joel is at work uh, making diamonds back with the group, but none of the diamonds work on the petrification device they're experimenting with. Uh, he's like, it, it should be perfect. It's the perfect shape and size. So if my skills can't create this, no one in the world can do this. Could be an ordinary diamond somehow isn't the answer. And Kaseki at the exact same moment is saying to himself, there's going to be some key difference, but what is it? Uh, so Senku says to Kaseki, like, okay. We haven't heard anything from Joel right now by now. And you've been working with all these samples and experiments to work with. So that must mean something here is wrong. And that's good that we can conclude that because, you know, that allows us to, you know, work with that more information. So uh, Chrome is looking at some stuff. He's like, oh, man. These diamond batteries you're making, they're really solid. He's like, go with a hammer. <laughs> I guess it's like, don't do that, please. Uh, but Chrome says, I see these are even tougher than the ones we found on the Medusas. And Kaseki at first is like, oh, yes, well, I've got it, don't I? Yes, so they, I ground them perfectly so they wouldn't crack. And then he immediately gets a bit of insight. He's like, yeah, someone like me would never want to make a gem that could crack. 
So then why are these cracks that all over these used diamond batteries? When we go back to the, when, you know, Stanley made the observation and Kohaku went over like, yeah, every single one of these clean diamonds has cracks in them. So he takes out some of the diamonds from the used Medusas and he kind of nails into one and it splits evenly right down the middle. And he splits some more of them the exact same way. They all split the exact same way with just a bit of force applied in the center. And uh, Zeno explains that, yeah, Running th- through the lines that intersected the tip are cleavage planes Ooh. where the crystal bond is weakest. And so Senku's like, so the lines must be channeling something somehow. So now that they know this, now they're like, okay, now we know how the structure should look. And because Senku's like, I wish we could give Joel this hint because then, you know, we could fill each other in and, and make more progress that way. But they still can't reveal their position exactly yet because Stanley knows roughly where they are, but not exactly where they are. So uh, they reiterate that Suika is going to be the one who hides until the end, even though we got that shot and it seemed like we were assuming that it was going to be Suika who was hiding away to revive everyone. Anyway, they say that. Uh, She sits off with... Francois to find a good hiding place and Francois is going to, you know, be supplying her with stuff so that she, you know, doesn't go hungry. But as they wake their way out, Suika suddenly goes up to the top of a tree, having spotted something, and she says, I think I see them. And there are, sure enough, some boats coming down the river as Stanley's group has arrived and they are starting to invade the area. They're looking for for a campsite. Uh, Also, they've got Ginra and Matsukaze with them. Oh, no. (laughs) So... Uh, Suika's like, okay, we, we got we got to warn the base that Stanley's gang is coming. But Francois says, well, we can't use wireless communication. Uh, that'll allow them to discover our location. Uh, at that moment, they spot a spider, and the spider runs away because it smells the scent of army ants. Uh, and, you know, Francois recalls, you know, oh yeah, we made the army ant poison thing for the batteries and stuff. So... Francois says, we have to return on foot, but at that moment... Okay, so... There's been this girl with Stanley's group this yes. whole time. Yes. She wears a cat suit. Mm-hmm. And Boichi has not drawn a thirsty picture in... So long. He's... Dozen chapters. <laughs> He's been holding it in. You know, Dr. Chelsea, so, she's cute, but she doesn't have the curves that Boichi needs, you know? Uh, so she gets bitten by this spooked spider that goes right towards her after wanting to run away from the invisible army ants. And when it bites her, its venom gets her... Horny? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know she's supposed to be, like, racked with spasms of pain from the venom, but why are her nipples racked? <laughs> I also don't understand. Now, look, I don't know. I haven't worn a cat suit yet. I also feel like a cat suit would provide some level of support to your chest so that when you fall down, one tit doesn't shoot out that way and one doesn't shoot out that way. <laughs> So that happens. She gets uh, she gets DOA boob physics. And uh, 
So immediately, Suika and, and Francois are like, oh, she must have been bitten by something. And they know that, you know, because Senku informed them, like, hey, we've got this little item for you as a last resort for first aid. We made, you know, uh, dynamite. Well, this swab is soaked in nitroglycerin. And if you swab the skin onto someone, it'll expand the quarter, coronary artery and kickstart the heart back to life. So use it as a last resort in case you get bit by something. Kickstart. The Motley Crue song. It's a great song. I just, Francois. it's just that the words, it, the words in sequence kickstart the heart, or I guess kickstart my heart is the song. Uh-huh. So, oh, yeah. Driving imagery. So, um, Francois is like, I mean, we could save her, but we can't get caught. But Suiga doesn't hesitate at all. She rolls, grabs the, uh, the swab and she rolls over to the girl, uh, Strips off that suffocating cat suit from around her collar and starts swabbing at her neck where she's been uh, around so that her artery will open up and her heart restarts and uh, she, she it saves her life. We cut over at that moment over to Zeno, who is, you know, tied up next to Senku. And he says, what you need to know about Stanley is that in order to rescue his general, he will not hesitate to slaughter everyone. Ethics and morals do not come into play because this is simply his job as a soldier. All those lovely platitudes you spout reveal your inherent weakness, just like fragile cleavage planes. Uh, And at that moment, as the girl is thanking Suika for saving her life, Stanley's group spots her and yells at her to freeze. So that's the end of the chapter. Uh, I thought this was a really good chapter. Um, I think that this is a really good escalation of tension because although it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, I mean, Stanley doesn't know at that moment that Suika has been caught. So it's, you know, one of those things that's funny. He gives the speech that's very dramatically appropriate to the other scene that's happening. Um, but I, I do like that. Um, I will say the only thing that annoyed me is the, the cat suit girl. And not necessarily her design. Look, I, I know Boichi. I, I mm-hmm. you know, I know he's going to be horny. That's fine. It's just these characters, this character has shown up essentially two times in the series. Yeah. The first was she was the pilot that they shot down thinking it was Stanley. Right, the distraction. Right. Yeah. So she was kind of worthless there. And then this scene where she got bit by a bug and has to be saved. Like, she's so lame off of these two introductions that I'm just like... If you're going to give her the cat suit fetish, fine. But can you at least make her look somewhat like get her some interesting trait besides she's like, I don't know, the goober of their team. Trying to think of another character that has been made out as badly as her thus far. People are saying her name's Charlotte. I like calling her cat suit girl because that is currently the only interesting factoid about her. Yeah. Cat suit Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. Nick's very flying. Nick has become a cat, <laughs> where he's just like distracted by the mechanism. I've been a cat this whole time. I know. Chris. That's, that's why, why I'm so moody. That's why, that's why I love you, because cats are the best. Aww. Um, but yeah, no, I legitimately. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was that was really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this chapter I thought was really, really good in terms of escalating that tension because suddenly. Their plan has now fallen apart. I mean, I don't know if the implication is just like, hey, 
Stanley will probably shoot that child in the head. I I mean, I could very easily see them taking a hostage mm-hmm. in this situation. But maybe that's the, regardless. Like now they know someone is out here and I'll be very interested to see what, you know, because Francois has a lot on their plate now to like, how are they going to react? And I, I also love even just the Francois eternal monologue of like, this is awful that this has happened to this person, but we are central to like, we are the key of this operation. We yeah. cannot get caught. So we're just going to have to let, and so we could be like, no, and yeah, jump in an action to save this person. Yeah. It's a great way to show both characters as being admirable, but so we could be shown as heroic and Francois being shown as the responsible one, you know? Yeah. Uh, in in a way, it's yes, we could be heroic, but also childish, you yes. know, because that she doesn't think about the consequences. So, yeah, Kurubo called it very well. Uh, Katsu girl is uh, the Captain Phasma of this group. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. All right, let's talk about Mashal Nick, Chapter Fifty, Mash Burn Dead, and the Protein Shakeup. Um, Pun. Yeah. <laughs> So we uh, we see basically the other characters gathering their key. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, Lance uses gravity to like just explode the balloon. Uh, Dot just blows it up. We don't see what. Um, oh gosh, it's something with an M. Matruska. It's actual Margaret. Margaret. Okay. That's it. Uh, we see how basically everyone gets their keys, except the implication, I believe, is that Dot helps Finn get a key, basically, because everyone has to get it. I don't know. Maybe oh. not. We we just see him going huff huff. So I don't know. Um, we have, I mean, like we see that he makes it through this task. And man, if this guy does not have the most badass magic, <laughs> it, Mashal, Mashal has been published for a year now, which congratulations. That's uh-huh. great. We still don't know what the fuck Finn's magic is. <laughs> We've been saving this. What does he do? I know. Uh, we cut over to Mashal and, and uh, Max Land, who are celebrating. They're doing the hip hip hooray uh, jazz hands thing. And Max Land is just like, I didn't think that would work. I didn't think we'd make it. And, uh, you know, Mash is like, here, here's the key. You know, we got it thanks to your magic. So you go ahead and use it. And uh, Max is touched. Like, you know, you really are a good person. Uh, you know what? You take the key. The exit's that way, and there's a rumor that time, you know, factors into your ranking. So, um, you know, you go ahead and take it. He's like, you should know Rain told me about you. I didn't believe you were as good of a person as he said. Anyway, now that I know the mechanics, I can handle this myself. And, uh, hey, you know, call it my selfish desire to help people like you. So don't worry. Uh, and then finally, like, Mash is still kind of hesitant, or at least seems kind of sad about it. So Max pulls the, you know, the Kohei kind of line. He's like, look, I'm your senpai. It's my job to, you know, basically keep my honor here and, and you you know, do this, basically. So Mash is like, okay, goes away. Then we like get silence. Max Land says, whew, now then. And like, that was the moment I was like, oh, no, is Max Land evil? Quite to the contrary. He starts to turn and immediately gets like a giant cut across like the head as we see Carpaccio Lu Yang of Orca show up. Max says, my premonition was right. So, hey, Rain, did I do my best for the younger students? And we see a showdown about to happen. But we cut away as all the contestants are coming in there. Uh, Mash shows up. We see Dot carrying Finn in there. So, again, maybe, you know, maybe there was a secret thing going on yeah. there. We don't know. 
Everyone's like, wow, I'm surprised you finished it without magic. He's like, oh, you know, I had I had help. <laughs> also, Doc goes, turns out explosions work just fine. <laughs> I like explosion magic would work well on most like, problems. Uh, but they're like, only nine candidates can, you know, go to the next stage. Who will take the final spot? And we see Max Land go through the door. But that's only so he can be dropped on the ground by Orca Dorm's Carpaccio Lu Yang. What a beating as Max Land is like bloody and on the floor. And even the announcer's like, did he need to go that far? Could this be a declaration of war? Carpaccio steps on Max's head and says, I don't need weaklings. Weaklings are useless. So it shouldn't matter what I do to them. And Max is like, uh, excuse me? What are you doing? <laughs> Stop that or get punched. <laughs> also, did you have to go so far? Uh, we get a little explanation from Finn about Carpaccio Lu Yang. Top of this year's continuing students. The best of the best, just like Lance. So essentially the Orca dorm equivalent of Lance, I guess. Um, and then Carpaccio reaches over. I don't know why. I guess someone was serving drinks, basically. They didn't mention that you can get a drink. So he grabs a cup and he goes to do the fucking evil bad guy thing where he just goes weakling should be kept quiet and spills water and then Max just lifts up a protein powder shake and pours it into a cup in just the perfect way so the water also goes into the cup and he can mix it real quick and everyone's like holy shit he's making a protein shake he's like yeah sorry it's 3pm that's what I like to make my special homemade muscle drink <laughs> Oh, it's just the perfect, like, he goes to be a dick to Mash. And without an expression on his face, Mash is just like, protein tree. <laughs> I only wish there was, like, a little ding as it happened or something like that. Like, hey, he knows it's 3 p.m., but it's so cool. Uh, and, he, you know, basically, he's just like, look. Not to stop you, but with protein, it's important to stick to a schedule. Also, you're calling people weaklings. But I've never met anyone stronger than me. <laughs> That's how the chapter ends, as it looks like uh, Mash is going to come into conflict with Capaccio Lu Yang sometime very soon. It's a nice little chapter. I yeah. do like that as we dis we get to know more students uh, at the Academy, we come to learn like, oh, not everyone's a total dick to Mash. Yes. Aside from just his, you know, his friends. There are some people who are just like genuinely kind of nice people. You know, there's this guy who barely knowing Mash knowingly sacrifices himself to help him out. So that's that's really nice. And Mash looks is funny and cool in this chapter too. So Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a funny moment. It was cool seeing this guy's like stupid big I'm gonna spill water on your routine get like tossed away. Um I think it was a good move for us to have met Max Land last chapter and kind of get to know him only to see his like sort of heroic sacrifice knowing like uh oh somebody's coming in and it could mm -hmm. be dangerous for Mash. I'm going to, you know, let him go ahead. And I'm going to do it by being like, hey, I'm the I'm the junior student here. I got to look out for my co-highs. Uh, co and then as mm -hmm. he leaves, just thinking like, Rain, did I, did I do a good job? It's like, aw. And then it proceeds to get the shit beat out of him, apparently. So, yeah, I, I, that was really, like, uh, really cool. Hmm. All right. We're going to... Go on to Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 32, Mei Hirasaka. Uh, we get a page in this chapter just kind of recapping the events of the last one. You know, the Tsukumogami that uh, that Garaku proved to be stronger than, and he was starting to reveal his history with with uh, Suzu's past life. And then we go into a flashback 
to the moment that uh, Garaku was was born as the Sukumogami of a brush. And he's like, I, I was in a room moments after the painter had passed away, surrounded by his cats, which, OK, yeah. makes sense. He's fond of Shiragane. And he just his narration says, my first thought was I want to paint more. But it was the last days of the Tokugawa and it was a turbulent time. I had no one I could depend on. And living among humans was very difficult. I could barely maintain my existence by painting. So he basically started relying on his painting ability in order to steal so that he could survive. And he would steal things so that Chiruzuka Kayo could get whatever he wanted. And he was acting under his pr protection. And at one point, Kayo told him while he was tossing a skull aside, these days, I prefer this kind of rubbish. With the human world in disarray, there are many who escape and come to my mountain. Human trash, they scream and wail while they run about. Some even so full of themselves, they believe they could exercise me. And Garaku admits he didn't really care. Uh, because he didn't feel any sympathy toward humans, because everyone was looking out for themselves. No one wanted to, you know, trade him painting for them in order to look out for him or give him shelter or food or anything. Some people were even be like, I'm going to cut your head off because assholes. So uh, and he was like, you know, he figured that eventually he would turn to dust and go into Chirizuka Kayo's dust chest. And that would just be the end because everything dies eventually. But instead, the Ayakashi medium showed up. And sealed Shizuka Kayo away inside the rock that he came out of uh, at the beginning of all this. And uh, she, you know, was like, hey, maybe when you come out of there, when I've reincarnated, then we can be friends. And then she's like, oh, you're the brush Ayakashi. OK, so you were working for Kaya before. What's your name? They get to know each other and stuff. She introduces herself as Mei Hirasaka. And she says, I'll take you to the world you ought to be painting. And she extends her hand to him, and Grok is like, well, you're a human, I don't trust you. So she says, well, I'm a little different from most humans, and she summons an Omokage clone and grabs him by an arm and he, with each clone's hand and drags him off to the tree that Garaku had painted uh, in the present time. And uh, she says, this has been my present place, my favorite place in like every single one of my lifetimes. Uh, I have memories of those times I because I transcend this world as the Ayakashi medium. And she kind of forces him to look at the beautiful landscape. And she says, the forest may be getting smaller, but the sea, the sky and the mountains here are still beautiful. So take a good look. We're all born to add color to this scenery. And that includes you and me, too. Everything in this world is a treasure, Karaku. And so Karaku stuck around in the area and she observed that May would help out the Ayakashi. She was nice to to them and would heal them when they got injured and stuff. She would work out the problems they were having with humans and stuff like that. And Garaku's narration says this was the last era when humans were still aware of Ayakashi and feared them. And she worked to keep the harmony between humans and Ayakashi. Um, as Garaku, you know, hangs out more, he talks with May and she says, well, you know, I'm happy that you like this place. And. Uh, and Garak is like, you're always wearing that weird gaudy outfit. And she says, yeah, I'm a shrine man in this life. And she explains that she was, you know, different things in each for different lives. The daughter of a farmer, the daughter of a feudal lord, 
Uh, I always got along with the Aikash in the area. And there was a time when I was revered as a god. And Garak is like, well, how did you get along with humans? And she hesitates and then tells him that in every single one of her lives, over a thousand years of reincarnation, she has never lived past 15 years old because she's been feared by humans, even by her own parents. This time I trained to use my power to try to admonish Ayakashi present danger to humans. But now I'm 16 and I could die any day now. So maybe you can paint me before I die. And Garak is like, I just want to paint the scenery. I don't want to, I don't want to paint you, Baka. So Garaku admits in narration, I felt it would be over if I ever painted her. Since I'd met her, every day was so beautiful and precious to me. I didn't want to lose her. I couldn't help but turn away from her radiance. And then one day, she is rounded up by some villagers, tied up, and taken away, as Garaku says, that year there were many floods. And because of her special powers, she was designated as the human offering to quell them. And I was too weak to stop them from drowning her. I realized after I lost her that I was in love with the Ayakashi medium, with May. And Suzu, in the present, very awkwardly goes, Uh, I'm not May. <laughs> um... And she's like, yeah, I mean, I, cr I cried when I saw the sacred tree, but that's it. And But Grok is like, I know you're not her and you don't remember that, but the Ayakashi medium might remember. And that's why when you're the completed Ayakashi medium, I want to paint you. So Shirogane and Matsuri are left to, to deal with this scene of the two of them looking at each other with this new meaning of statue between them. Shirogane is like, oh, so that was going, what's, what's going on with Karaku? And Matsuri going, what's going on with Garaku and Suzu? Wait, does he want to bang her? No, I can't let this happen. I'm paranoid. So that's where the uh, chapter ends. I'm not a fan of this introducing like, oh, there might be someone else who, who could be Suzu's love interest. Because like, dude, he's literally hundreds of years older than her. That's weird. But Garaku did not say like, oh, I want to be with you. He's like. It seems as though in the terms of the way he views it, he wants to make up for a failing that he made yeah. hundreds of years ago by doing this. Um, so. I'm in two minds about this because that worry is in my head, because I think that that is probably the dynamic that Matsuri is going to be dealing with that worry, because, you know, Suzu's worried about him and Nino Kuru, so he's going to have someone to be worried about in return uh, to break up their romantic interest and stuff. And I'm sure that, like, eventually it's going to, you know, turn out like, oh, he's not romantically interested in her and that'll resolve it. But who knows how long we're going to have to deal with that, you know, yeah. romantic uh, comedy misunderstanding. So it's fine. I don't particularly care much for Graku still. Like, it's just I know. kind of a thing. <laughs> so. It's just one of those things where you're like, yeah, I, you know, an extra wrinkle into the plot, but, you know, doesn't seem to hold a ton of weight for me. I like the uh, the story that's told in the flashback. Um, I do feel like it could have had a little bit of a better stuck landing, maybe, mm. in terms of like when it was brought into the present, it could have hit a little bit harder because it's just like, and then she was sacrificed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's where we are in uh, for now. 
All right, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, page 282, Black Guardian. So we are introduced to the Union as Asta performs Devil Union. And uh, we see uh, magic fucking scales guy being like, what? All the magic? He just erased it? Cut over to Yuno, who's like, hey, unfortunately for you, the Clover Kingdom still has that guy and we see asta's new devil union form nick give me your thoughts on it it's stupid there we go all right it's garbo (laughs) (laughs) uh so asta basically notes like all right at this point our devil union only lasts five minutes so we have to take it down instantly and i love it because asta reaffirms me here because he addresses Magic Parliament guy as, hey, Magic Parliament guy, watch me. (laughs) The guy is not important enough to have a name. Uh, Watch me, because I'm gonna, and everyone's like, what's happening? Join forces with the devil and protect this kingdom. And everyone sees, like, the visage of, like, a devil's shadow kind of hovering in the sky. If only they knew inside was what kind of looks like a 12-year-old wearing, like, a Transformer costume or something like that. Like, <laughs> like it's really bulky around the shoulders and the legs. It's the, sh- it's the shoulders that really kill it for me. They look so stupid. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, no! Uh, Rebecca, who's not an important character, says, it's Asta! <laughs> Uh, we get like a collage of the various kind of uh, tertiary or I guess quadrary supporting characters basically being like, I know that person. I know. Them too. Yeah, it's Asta. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, Asta. Yeah. Quaternary. Quaternary. All right. There you go. Yeah. Um, everyone's like, wow, this thing is crazy. Like the demon is is powerful it's it's an enormous mass of supercharged magic it repels all spells to existence and use primitive repetitive attacks to crush and mow down everything basically they're like a like a maxi player in soul calibur you just keep fucking nunchucking people into the air with that same one butt that does like six combo hits it's really easy um but the wizard king also says however for that very reason it has no way to block anti-magic attacks now nick this is interesting i think this is the first time we've seen an uh, antagonist who is inherently weak to the fact that magic uh asta has anti-magic magic you're right it's yeah. not done before <laughs> no one's done it before so asta having anti-magic <laughs> in a magic series comes up incredibly rare in black clover <laughs> So Asta cuts straight through the demon. Uh, We see it fall to the ground and Asta goes, yes. Uh, But then we see uh, Sabretooth basically going, oh, no, oh no. If this keeps up, he's gonna Mr. Nature Boy Ric Flair is gonna. So Asta's like, "Okay, let's head for the Spade Kingdom. And that's the chapter. Um, I'm glad that at least they did introduce the time limit thing so that it's like, okay, Asta doesn't just win everything. At the very least, there's a limitation to this. And now that he's entered this demon bond form, whatever, now he's also traveling. So that's probably not going to work out too well. There's also some good artwork in this chapter, I will admit. Uh, But Asta's new design is stupid. But that's okay because new form designs are almost always stupid, Chris. Especially... When you're basically doing the Naruto thing where you bond with the creature inside of you, 
remember how stupid Naruto's yeah. detailed beast form is? Like that's it, yeah, that's you know, and you know what? Asta's new form is better than that because <laughs> yeah. it's not pure white <laughs> on the page. Uh, yeah, I, oh. I don't care for Asta's new form aesthetically, but to also be completely honest, I don't care for Black Clover aesthetically. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't look like a good series to me. I don't like its artwork. So you know. Water's sure wet. I don't know what you fans, want to say. I, I will be shocked if there are diehard Black Clover fans out there who don't think this is awesome. Yeah. Like, I, I, would, like, I would love to hear the opinions of people who normally love Black Clover and don't love this. Yeah. Because it seems what you would want. Yes. To me. So. Yeah. And I totally under this isn't me trying to like shit on it. It's just like, like, I, yeah, I don't like it, but I don't like any art in the series. So aesthetics are different for different people. Uh, as for the rest of the chapter, it's fine. Asta shows off his new form. He has to get to the Clover Kingdom. Apparently, I'm wrong. That's not uh, Nature Boy Fairy's ta- or uh, Sabretooth he's talking to. It's one of uh, Rick Flair's demons, which makes okay. sense. He's in a devil union with Sabretooth right now, so he, right, he right, wouldn't right, be outside right. of it. Uh, by the way, it is after uh, Quaternary. It is Quinary, Cenary, Septenary, Octonary, Nonary, and Denary. They are probably more octanary characters now that I think about it. <laughs> this fucking cursed soul. Like, you know, like, fuck, who cares? If we were going to do that, uh, name this character thing in, in Black Clover, those, like, oh. curse should be the first character you show with both of us, like, fuck, I vaguely remember this dude at some point, but I don't remember what he does. Oh, man, there are so many. There are some characters from that Royal Knights test thing that were introduced then that are way more forgettable than those, though. Yeah. So. That'll be that'll be our Black Clover character tier list, by the way. Not like best <laughs> to worst, but most to least forgettable. <laughs> I definitely know Asta S tier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Gray, I'm not so sure on. Sometimes I mix her up with Gordon. <laughs> so you said Gray and I was like, Gray's a fairy took her. Oh, why? <laughs> It should be based off of just the names, not even seeing a picture of them. Yeah, no images at all. No hints of what kind of magic they do or anything. <laughs> all right. One Piece, Chapter 1004, Millet Dumplings. Well, we've had a lot of chapters recently focusing on just the rooftop battle that's been going on between Kaido, Big Mom, and the Supernovas. And then we started to transition out of that to the other battles. And now we are in the thick of of those stuff that's going on in lower levels. And guess what? It's cool, too. Yes. (laughs) We uh, start things off with uh, Speed, the horsewoman that (laughs) I'm going to say Otoko befriended yes <laughs> otama befriended even though that's a lie kind of I, and she fed her one of her millet dumplings and now she's friendly to her i so. like i like to think because i know some people are like is this kind of like mind control and i i like to think because all the smile users are are zoan users so they're half animal users yeah. that this is the animalistic side of them where in the same way to show a dog you're friendly generally feed it a treat or something like that that usually gets you on their side so in my mind it's just the animalistic side of them that gets this ridiculously good treat and that kind of turns their opinion around 
And really, isn't it kind of brainwashed your dog to give it a treat to make sure that it like goes out and walks when you want it to and things like that, you know? It's also brainwashing to put the TV on for your kid. Like, yeah, we do things that are selfish sometimes in order to not go crazy. It's OK, guys. Yeah. Uh, Speed is passing out some of Otama's dumplings in order to brainwash them. So <laughs> it's OK. It's nothing like that one time that we used blood magic to control the diamond game. <laughs> so uh, my, my cosplay thief is saying something in here. But it's like, look, they're getting they're becoming loyal to Tom uh, Tama, even though she's not the one giving it to them. I agree. But I think if your dog had the sapience to understand what peanut butter is, the dog would be more loyal to peanut butter necessarily than you. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what they're getting at. Peanut butter sounds great right now. Sorry. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we cut to a flashback from Speed's perspective to her talking with uh, Tama and saying like, hey, I want to go to Ogin- Onigashima, but no one's letting me go with them. And Speed being like, well, I'll help you with that, Master. <laughs> uh, and we see that on their way across, Speed has her own ship, by the way. That's, I mean, she's she's important enough to get her own ship. Yeah. Uh, that Tama was just producing mass quantities of her millet dumplings, pinching her cheeks over and over again and getting dizzy from it. And Speed's like, you need you need to stop. You're, you're hurting yourself. But Tom explains, saying, each of these brings another person to our side. And in all my life, I've never seen a Wano without Orochi and Kaido. It's that second part of the sentence that really got me. It was like, this is a child who has been brought up in this evil empire who wants freedom. So it's like, you know what? Fuck it. If she has to brainwash a bunch of idiot pirates, go right ahead, girl. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very sweet moment of just like, yeah, I don't care how much I search each one of these every time I do it. It's one more person turned to our side. And I was like, oh, yeah. so she's like, I want to see a different Wano with Momo as the Shogun. I'm tired of being hungry. I want to eat all I can. Good for you, girl. And so Speed's like, yeah, let's do it. And she's bringing people over to her side. And uh, the more people that she turns over, of course, the more people there are to hand out more of the dumplings and spread like a virus through uh, the gifters and headliners. And uh, (laughs) Daifugo, the vice warden that was running the prison before, is running around the former prisoners. They're like, what the fuck? Kill that guy. He's like, oh, come on, guys. Water us. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, he's he's like force feeding dumplings to more of Kaido's men and uh, turning them over to Thomas side. Uh, We cut over to Frankie then, who is still fighting. Rhino. I Sasaki. Damn it. (laughs) So he's. Fighting a Triceratops, uh, trying to shoot it with his Frankie mech and stuff. It's not it's not having any effect. Uh, One of his horns nearly pierces the Frankie general's chest. And so he's like throws him aside after that. Uh, But Sasaki's men grab onto the mech and hold it down so that Sasaki can puncture him with his horns. And Frankie can't get free. He's like, oh, how are you guys all so strong? But at that moment... Usopp, Nami, and Tama arrive on Tama's mount thing, 
And <laughs> Frankie's like, oh, good timing. You're here to help me get these people off me. And Nob <laughs> Oh, I, I love it. I love the scream. Like, oh, thank goodness you guys are here to save me. Oh, boss! <laughs> and there's an entire army after them. <laughs> so uh, Saki's like, all right, Gifter's okay. Block the way behind you. We've got the advantage of numbers. It's true all over the island. But Thomas says, I came here to turn that around. And she declares, everybody... Help Fanosuke! And all the people she's turned to her side leap into action. They're like, you got it, master! And people start to turn at each other, and Frankie is now able to move as people get thrown off of him. And he's just barely able to dodge out of the way before Sasaki's charge reaches him. And Sasaki's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> uh, page 1 and Ulti are still, you know, not down. So they're like, Sasaki, they've turned against us. So you got to trample them. Um, and so Ulti leaps into action and she's like, it seems one of their powers is at work. I think you want me to properly crush your skull this time. And she leaps through the air towards Nami and Usopp. But Nami says, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) And she has put her climb attack into action. And she says, watch out for heart paralysis, which is pretty scary. And uh, shoots a lightning bolt at uh, paid at Ulti, which uh, sends her to the ground. But she's not down for the count just yet. Nami knows this herself. She needs stronger lightning, Nick. Not stronger lightning. So uh, the whole Zeus thing not resolved yet. It seems. Uh, Usopp does something really cool, which is he's got some little dumplings from Tama, and he shoots them with his slingshot into people's mouths and turns them to their side. Awesome. Yeah. And Tama calls out to everyone. Everyone follow us, and they end up. They start to get uh, an entourage following after them, which upsets Sasaki. But that distraction allows Frankie to form Blazing Sword, <laughs> and he slashes it in a V for victory slash because fuck it, this is great. <laughs> I love Frankie so much. From that, Sasaki has been wounded. Uh, to where, um, oh, right. Sanji got caught in that web before. Mm-hmm. He's not doing very well. Uh, and he's being mocked as, but, uh, he was able to uh, knock out some people along the way, I guess there. I think that's what she's observing was that, uh, she yes. knocked out some dude. He knocked out some dudes on the way to rescuing her. But she says, without being able to hurt any women, you never stood a chance. And now I hold your life in the palm of my hand. Go on call for nico robin and she calls over to a girl who's got a paper over her face with an eye on it and says speak to this girl here and your voice will carry all throughout the castle then i'll set you free those were the orders from kaido and sanji of course demands to know what they're going to do with robin and she's like well i mean well gang up on her capture her then mutilate her limbs to incapacitate her and only when we're done with her However many years that takes will we finally kill her. Sanji, of course, is not happy about this, but he says, underestimate Nico Robin at your own peril before we cut away. Uh-huh. Um, there's another girl with one of the paper eyes over her face, and she just starts going detected 
over the performance yeah, floor. Yeah, Bao Yang, I think is her name. God, how how could I have ever expected to win that contest <laughs> against you? I, 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 I think I'm very wrong on the name, but I, I know she's shown up several times. But she has uh, spotted the Agazaya samurai. They have managed to get away from the roof. They're all beaten up, but they're still alive. And she reports their uh, location to everyone nearby. And so King's like, all right, they escaped from Kaido. I'm occupied. Is there anyone else who can go there? Head to the treasure room and kill all the samurai for good. That gets passed on to Black Maria via the other woman with the eye over her face. And she says, I'll go. This floor is connected to the second floor of the treasury. You need me to finish them off. Sanji, of course, is like, no, I can't let her finish off Kinemon. The others don't go. Uh, the scout woman says, keep your wits about you. For in that room, I see 10. It's hard to make out through the gloom, but someone is attempting to save the samurai. Go now. Go quick and kill. Someone is there. Indeed. Uh, so a couple things. Um, so when I first, so the first time I read this chapter, I guess I should say even before I read it, I had a friend text me who just caught up on One Piece, and he just oh. he just texted me, "Holy shit, dude! Is that email at the end of the chapter?" And I was like, "What the fuck?" Because I hadn't read the chapter yet, so I was like, "What the fuck?" So I was like wondering what the hell it is. I got oh, confused I at first. Can see why you might yeah, that. because of the long ears and the nose. And then I was like, shit, Nami did say she needed stronger lightning in this chapter. That could but then I was like, there'd be no reason for him to be there. <laughs> so it's not NL. It's the most likely scenario here is that this is uh Hiori, aka Komorosaki. She should be involved in this. It would make sense why she would be here. And we haven't seen her in a while. Yes, and it's probably just one of her hair braids is what we're seeing. Uh, but I didn't have a moment of, of finding joy of being like, I mean, I guess it could be, you know, like <laughs> like going down the rabbit hole real far. I was like, if it's not, you know, it could be Jin. This could be Jin. She's Jin's got, she has, She's got a, a bang on the side of her face that matches exactly where that uh, thing trailing down is. So it's probably her. Yes. Uh, also, I think it would be a little bit weird for Nami to be like, I need stronger lightning. And then the guy with lightning <laughs> powers shows up is like, I don't. I mean, he had kind of an interesting relationship with Nami is the only reason why I thought it. But at the same Did time, he? yeah, like he kind of he respected her navigation skills. And I remember like he was he kept her alive specifically because he was like, okay. I want you to come with me to this new world. Like he basically spared her after killing everybody else. So she had to like go along with it for a little bit to like make it work. Um, anyways. Uh, I like the little details, um, but the fight with Frankie and uh, Sasaki is building up pretty cool. I love Usopp shooting out the little millets out of his uh, his thing. Um, I think there's some really cool stuff going on there. Uh, I know some people hate Sanji, and I understand why, because in this chapter, it's a moment mm -hmm. of like, you're, you're intentionally kind of doing this for your, your morals. And yeah, it's annoying. I think the thing that really would annoy me is if this doesn't result in Sanji going past his barriers and breaking his code to do this, then this is just a repeat of what happened in mm -hmm. Enos Lobby, like almost right. right down to it. I'm sure similar to Enos Lobby, where it was very frustrating. I'll probably forget it when he has a super cool fight with King or Queen. I, I, I'm sure it will happen. 
but it is a very frustrating moment right now because you're just like it's like i don't know your crew like people are dying <laughs> like I, I like it's just one of those things where I'm like i get why people get very frustrated with them so you know i totally get that but i am super fucking hyped for the clearly built up fight now with black maria versus robin i am yeah i fucking mean she hyped said like I'm going to butcher that woman. So if they never meet, that'll be a letdown. Yeah, no. I mean, some people are even theorizing that the woman in the room who takes the note is Robin. I mean, she does kind of look like her from afar, but, you know, it could be. Well, she's a woman in one piece. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. Uh, But yeah, I I think it's going to be pretty dope. Um, Yeah. All right. That is it for Weekly Manga Recap. Let's name our favorites for this week. Favorite series and MVP. Uh, my favorite series I'm going to give to Nine Dragons Ball Parade. I think of all the series this week, that was such a complete enjoyable chapter that I, I really came away with like the feeling of this was really fun and I enjoyed this and I'm, I'm glad I read it. You know, like it, it, it made me very happy. Yeah. I'm going to complete our battery, Chris, and repeat that sentiment because it was, the chapter from beginning to end that I felt was the most complete and good all the way through. Uh, there were some good chapters this week, but almost all of them I had little mixed thoughts on or not everything in them was really good. But this was a very solid start. And uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm setting myself up for disappointment from here. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like we were kind of excited about the first chapter of Beast Children as well. Not to the same extent, but I'm just not like nearly. I'm just waiting for that 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 fall down. Um, my MVP, I am going to give to, oh God, I'm blanking on his name now. The new Mash, uh, not Mashal, uh, Maguchan God, Gutal or whatever, Gral, whatever his name is. The Adamant God, oh, it's like Gutal or something like that. Ninja's going to know. Gula? Gula, that was it. Yeah, Ninja's smart. He's going to be able to suss it out. Gula, I thought it was a fun introduction for that character. So I think it it really worked in that way. And uh, I had fun with it. We actually had a lot of really good characters this week, too. So there was, like, a lot of competition. I considered Koseki and um, a couple other characters. Suika, I considered. Yeah, Suika. Uh, Tama. I I considered... uh, in a weird way, Toya, because uh, yeah. he, you know, his torment carries that chapter. But I am going to go with Tama, Otama, okay. uh, for this because I feel like I've really turned a corner on that character. Not, I mean, I didn't ever really hate her, but she was always just kind of like, sort of like, oh yeah, she was involved in this, and now that she's been brought back into the proceedings, and it feels yeah. like, oh. I did not expect her to play a pivotal role in this conflict. Yes. But when you think about it, she's the perfect person for this exact problem that they're dealing with, with this huge numbers advantage to instead turn it over to their sides, presuming that she has, you know, enough uh, dumplings that she can produce to make a difference. And the uh, conviction she showed uh, in this chapter was really, really endearing. So. Yes. Uh, in that way, the audience agrees with you. Tama is their MVP as well. And Magu-chan got a destruction was their chapter of the week. Uh, but there was, I'll, I'll note, there was votes for like pretty much every series for chapter of the week. I think this was generally a pretty good week. Yeah. Uh, barring a few of the newer series, I think that there were mostly positives this week. Mm-hmm. So, 
that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, everybody. We want to thank you all for joining us for the show. We record live here on twitch.tv slash T Wednesday evening, starting around 7.30-ish Eastern time. But to stay updated on exactly where we're going to start the show, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, the podcast's account is at WMR Podcast. Your hosts are at T and at Nick F. Time. And we'll uh, send out tweets and word to the Discord channel. When we're going to start the show, the Discord channel is a great community that we have. Uh, you can use that to find the Google Doc that Ninja X3i maintains, which keeps track of all sorts of statistics and recommendations that we've done on the show. And also, there's just a great community on there. Yes. You can talk about series that are running, recommendations we're talking about, uh, thirst for various different things, of which there are many in our community, yes. but we love you all. Uh, and uh, weekly games on Saturday morning of uh, Among Us, weekly Among Us. Yeah, and I've been seeing people after the games seem to just hang out and chat, too. So, you know, it might be a place to just hang out and have fun. Yeah. And uh, we would also like to extend special thanks to uh, Milo Jack Stillitz and Winston Del mm-hmm. Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. And Steve Mann, Tyrogard artist. Uh, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. Yes, which is uh, a rare place on the Internet. Um don't think you're not as common as it once was actually yeah yeah, (laughs) uh yeah that's gonna do it for a weekly manga recap it was a good episode and a lot of fun fun uh i don't know how to end it so i don't know do we just talk about wrestling or do we just end it abruptly what happened on dynamite tonight hang on no i don't want to spoil myself Uh, yeah you know i spoil myself every week after we're done on this show I go on Twitter and people are like, Kenta was on AEW. I was like, fuck you all. Oh, man. That shit was so cool. Fuck. All right. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything for Nick, so we're just going to leave now. Goodbye.